Good morning, everyone. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Okay. Um, we will now convene the Navy Hill work session, and uh, we will have first the uh, evacuation announcement. Madam Clark. Upon activation of the emergency alarm signal, all persons should immediately exit the building. Please use the exits to the left or right front of the council chamber or the east or west stairwell outside the rear doors of the chamber. Do not use the, the elevators or the escalators. After exiting the building, proceed to the assembly area located in the parking lot bordered by Clay, 8th, and 9th Streets. Citizens and employees should assist visually in hearing impaired visitors with exiting the building. Thank you, Madam Clerk. The first item, Ms. Brown, if you would, relative to the uh, questions that were um, shared coming out of the October 7th meeting, if you'd update us. Yes, uh, Council, you've been forwarded um, all of the responses from the last work session. You also have a packet um, in front of you with that information. There were some data files that were requested, um, which are an Excel uh, template. We did not print those out because the tables are so large, but like I indicated, they have been sent to you for your review. Um, and if you have any additional follow-up questions, please get those to me so I can get those to the administration as well. Ms. Robertson. Do you have a button up there that shows? No, I could see. <laughs> yes. Oh, good morning. Um, I missed the meeting on Monday, uh, so my question is in regards to the size of the t tablets that are so large that they're not being printed out. Um, can you give me a little bit more explanation as it relates to the size of those? Is the reason why, and if that is the data that gives us all of the numbers and and that kind of information and. Uh, well, last, uh, last week we did provide the table that has the 30-year breakdown, um, which I can get that printed for you and have additional copies. Um, all the files will still be posted online so that they can be viewed. Um, and if you specifically want a printed copy, I can work on getting that for you. I'd like to at least uh, explore that option with you uh, because sometimes when there is so much detailed information, uh, it works better for me if I have, have it printed. Thank you. Any other question or comment relative to uh, what Ms. Brown shared with us that um, we have responses to the questions from the October 7th meeting that were provided as well electronically by Mr. Welch. And um, if there are any other questions, just please get those to Ms. Brown. No, I was just, any other questions relative? No, I'm just looking at, I did look at it online last night, uh, but the scale of this, and now I'm looking at a printed copy. Mm -hmm. This is the most, I think part of this is the most significant and important information for us to be looking at. And to be honest with you, looking at it right here, I can barely read this. Um, and, you know, this, this is, this is, critical information and it needs to be presented to us in a way that is uh, easily readable and uh, we can easily follow it. Uh, and so I'm, I'm glad that I at least have a copy of what I'm asking for in print because even with this, it would require me to take this to some print shop, ask them to blow it up for me, put it on a wall, 
and be able to have a nice sitting stool where I can really figure out exactly what's here and how I'm going to use this data. So, yeah, I, we need to do something about it. We hear you, Ms. Robertson, and I'll add staff to work to see if we can't get a larger version uh, of that so that it's more easily uh, readable. Thank you. We will now go to the presentation on project financing, economic impact, impact the city operations and project timeline. Mr. Sledge, are you, I'm sorry, Ms. Santolesto, one, yes, relative to the packet. Yeah, relative to the packet and the responses. And, you know, I had to get to the spreadsheet, but <clears throat> the spreadsheet is the same one that we had received previously, and uh, this is on debt service. Um, while it tells us what the annual debt service is, it still does not provide what the total outstanding debt due is. So it's outlining principal and interest and total debt service each year, and it runs this out till fiscal year 2032, but what is the total debt service, not the total debt service, but the total outstanding debt, if we, let's say we're not paying debt on this till 2032, let's say we were going to just pay it all off today, what is the payout? That we will get the response to that. I'm not sure if there's someone in administration who has that now. If not, we'd certainly like to have that today. Is it included in your presentation? Yes, okay. Yeah, Mr. Angelesto, yes. if you will hold. Okay. Thank you. Then, Mr. Sledge, if you will come forward. Good morning. Again. Good morning, Madam President Newbill and distinguished members of Richmond City Council. My name is Leonard Sledge, and I have the privilege of serving as the Director of Economic Development for the City of Richmond. Uh, today, uh, in this now third work session, uh, we have representatives from Davenport, from Municap, and from J.P. Morgan Chase, who will be going through uh, the dollars and cents of the transaction with regard to bond issuance, uh, debt service, and also the analysis of the project. Um, and a few things that I would just like to, to share with you uh, prior to them coming up is the RFP that was initially issued by the City of Richmond did require non-recourse uh, financing, and the development team went to uh, the bankers, uh, the financial community, first and asked for help to reverse engineer a plan that allows for non-recourse financing for this project. And again, to remind everyone that 100% of the bond proceeds go to financing the arena, which will remain a public asset. And none of the bond proceeds that are issued are used for the private development that's a part of this mixed-use redevelopment plan. And with that, Madam President, I'd like to invite Mr. David Rose of Davenport to come and start the presentation. There are a couple of portions of the presentation where we will pivot and ask for Municap to come up just to, to help with the sequence and flow, and then J.P. Morgan Chase as well. And as always, we're more than glad to answer the questions that are raised by Council. Thank you, Mr. Sledge. Welcome, Mr. Rose. Thank you, Mr. Sledge. 
Madam President, members of council, uh, Roland Cooch and I will attempt to uh, answer some of the questions, but start with uh, a presentation if we could. Uh, this is designed to try to answer a number of the things you asked last week, put some context into the overall project, and as we indicated uh, just a moment ago through Mr. Sledge, uh, we're fortunate to have city uh, folks here as well as uh, MuniCap. So with that said, you all should see these uh, pieces uh, should be in front of you, what we're about to give you. Um, so let's just talk about the parties that are in attendance today. Um, we've got the city, of course, uh, the administrative staff, your council colleagues, uh, Roland, myself, and Jimmy Sanderson on behalf of Davenport. Oric was not able to be here today, but certainly can come back and uh, would expect to come back and answer a number of questions we know you're going to have, whether it's today or subsequently. In addition, uh, some of the other parties today behind me, uh, the developers here, Capital City Partners, uh, indicated Municap, which is their financial consultant that did uh, the financial uh, uh, modeling that we looked at. Uh, Hunter, Hunter Andrews Kurth, of course, legal counsel to the uh, NHDC folks. Um, the legal counsel directly as well to uh, NHDC, Rolf Jackson. As I indicated, Citigroup is here with uh, J.P. Morgan Chase folks as the underwriters on this project. And then finally, bond counsel and legal counsel developers, McGuire Woods. And so uh, all of them may be at certain times here to answer questions that you have or certainly to take note of it. So we have got for you a, uh, if you would, a contents of what you see. And again, uh, Councilwoman Robertson, we will make sure that we work with your staff to, to get some of those analyses uh, made larger. Um, I know every time, every, ever since I became 40, it became a little harder to see. So it started last year when I was 40. Yeah. Um, but I get it. Uh, we will make sure we do that. What's that. I appreciate that, but this is not an age issue. This is just not good. Okay. <laughs> for, for me, I'm not sure what it is. But I, I, I appreciate that as well, okay? And okay. 10 o'clock in the morning doesn't work as well either. But what we did is um, we tried to put a number of things in the in the bound co column that copy you have, excuse me, and then on Friday, I believe, that in great detail, the Excel spreadsheets uh, are also provided, and that's why we say under separate handout. Um, we also tried to follow what you'd asked us to do last week, particularly uh, Councilman uh, Agelasto asking to look at some different assumptions. All of those have been put into our work as well as present value analysis has been added, as well as, again, some of the scenarios such as excluding uh, the second tower and excluding Hunden and also moving up to 2% the assessed value growth in the real estate. So all of those cases should be in front of you in different forms, either right here in this handout and or from Friday. So let's start with the bond sizing and the schedule with regard to this overall project. General timetable, um, I think it's important to, to get a framework on all of this. So starting with today, where we are now, mid-October, um, we know that the City Council is obviously right in the, in the, in the midst of doing their review. 
Um, the commission has been meeting starting last week. Every other Saturday, we'll meet again this Saturday, um, at which time we will be talking about finances with the commission, amongst other things. Um, they will also be hiring, we call it their second independent consultant, separate and apart from what the administration did with regard to hiring Hunden, and they will be on board, I understand, shortly, so that all of this will come together uh, with a report and everything dovetails to have uh, a approval, hopefully, in December. If that's the case that we've been provided, that's the ideal. Um, and then three months later, roughly, first of the spring. Yes, ma'am. Ms. Larson. Um, the second independent consultant, is that the one that city council is yes, hiring? Yes, ma'am. Okay. That's right. Um, yes. And just to, I, I, the math that I've done does not put us in making a decision in December because we had 90 days from the day the commission members were seated and I believe that was two weeks ago. So just FYI. Ms. Larson, this is uh, not a, a timetable that was prepared by council. This is what's being offered I, here. So just know that, yeah. I'm, I'm just we're oh, fine. Okay. and this was given to us as well so we are we understand that um, so all of the numbers though that the municap and that everyone has used um, supposes that basically an April 1 start if that has to move back then everything accordingly will move back but we just use that so that everything you see will tick and tie to the numbers that the municap folks have and the and the uh, underwriters have so that's why you see it that way so obviously we know you'll have to take as much time as it takes to get this right. Um, so at least that's the, the initial framework of all this. <clears throat> Mr. Rose, one second. Ms. Angelesto. Thank you. Yes, I'm sorry. <clears throat> I appreciate that you didn't prepare this. I think it's very hard to take ownership of a presentation of somebody else's work. So questions are going to be pushed off. I think the questions are legitimate questions. And in some of the written responses that the council received, the December timeline is very much being pushed through the communication, largely due to opportunity zones. And if opportunity zone financing is not eligible because the project has not received the investments by December 31st, 2019, that has a major impact on the ability to go to market to get the investment dollars that are needed. The whole timeline here, that being forced and that being articulated and being presented again here, I think is, is very troubling from the council's perspective because frankly the RFP went out, the administration has worked on this for however long with the deliberate exclusion of the council and to now have the inclusion of the council in the, in the process that we have and the commission to now rush it and to continue to communicate on this December deadline, I just want to articulate that is putting the council into perhaps more of a defensive posture than a collaborative one. Understood, Mr. Agilasto. Again, this is what was provided to our firm, what was uh, suggested that we use 
this April 1 as a going forward for your analysis. Obviously, if that has to change and does change, I think everything will just, and again, do a varsity shift by whether it's one month or three months. And again, I can't speak for the developer. I can't speak for our clients. You know, again, here, we're just trying to show you what everything looks like when it's synced up to April 1. That's the way the, the Municap numbers and the, the numbers for the underwriters are presented. So just look at it that way if you don't mind. I think that would be the helpful way to look at this. Okay? Thank you. Okay. So that said, um, we are going to have a deeper dive by the folks from City behind me in the next few minutes. They have a separate handout. But I do want to start by making sure everyone that's here and in the audience understands sort of the size of the overall bond issue and where it stands today. Um, you may recall that when we first did our analysis as financial advisor, we assumed a $350 million bond issue. Today, while that number moves around, we are at the very low end of that. We are at something right north of $311 million. And what we wanted you to see here in a summary format is how did we get to a bond issue size today of roughly 310, 312 million, which is highlighted there. And the way we did it is if you look at the three major components, we call it subtotals. The first subtotal is that new arena cost. And I would direct your attention to the far right-hand side where it says total uses. So this arena is a, as we understand it, uh, a not-to-exceed price of $245 million. And from there, all of the numbers flow to produce effectively about a $311 million bond issue. In addition to the arena, and as I think someone said earlier, we know that that arena is going to take several years to actually be built. And so while that is being built and revenues are not being realized in any material way, you will do what we typically call capitalized interest meaning that the investors that buy these bonds will be getting interest along the way, but they will not be seeing enough revenues. That's very traditional of revenue projects like this. So we have what's called capitalized interest. That's on the right-hand side, $44 million and some odd dollars. There's two ways that gets put together. One is by actual borrowing of some $42 million, and then earnings on that money that we borrow is another $2.4 million that totals that $44.4 million. And then lastly, the third subtotal, and I've got some breakouts for all this in the next couple of pages, is we're paying off the Coliseum debt. I think, Mr. Agilasta, we can get you the details of that, but that's roughly $3 million over the next several years. That would be paid off, as well as creating what we call a debt service reserve, equal to what's typically one year's maximum annual debt service. That's also very typical for revenue bonds. And then finally, there's inter issuance costs, and that collectively is about $37.7 million. We've got a page on that as well. So those three major uses come to $327 million. 
The bond issue is $311 million for the moment, and the difference there in that blue is a variety of interest earnings as well as some early dollars in the increment area. So again, more deep dive will occur. But let's go back to the arena now, that first part, and we ask again, what is the amount of bond proceeds needed to take care of the arena? $231 million plus that second part, incremental revenues and earnings, all collectively come to $245 million. That is the number we've been provided as a not to exceed. And of course, the developers can talk about how that number is there, how it's valid, how it's uh, assurances. But for the moment, we are working with that. That's what's provided to us. Second part is how is the capitalized interest being uh, created? How is it being taken care of? As I indicated, there's two parts to that. Capitalized interest, which is the borrowed amount, $42 million, and then another $2.3 million, which are earnings. And what I mean by that is this. If you think of it, we borrow that money effectively April 1, and that money that's being borrowed, that $42 million, immediately goes into a bank, and that earns interest. And you can see there the earnings assumptions that we've made is 1.4% and 1.7%. We can go into some of the differences of why, but basically those combined interest earnings come out to about $2.3 million. We think that's on the conservative side because right now we know that we could earn some 2% on earnings. But again, for purposes of conservativeness, the folks as the underwriters have put that assumption in, and we're just reflecting that to you. We were comfortable with that as your advisor because, again, that gives us some cushion should interest rates go down. So there you have total uses of some $44 million for capitalizing the interest during this time that the project's being constructed. Then the last component here, the last major component, is what we called uh, paying off the bond proceeds. That's the three million we're borrowing. The debt service reserve fund of 28 and a half million that we're borrowing. And then finally, we're gonna have cost of issuance, which is all the folks in the suits and dresses behind you and others. It's about $6 million. That comes to some $37 million. So all of those components then, I'm gonna just show the last slide is the first slide. That's how you get a bond issue of about $312 million, and you get a total project size, if you would, of about $327 million. I would point out these numbers will continue to change as interest earnings change, as the size of the actual interest rate that we're paying. You'll notice there in the dark green, the underwriters have said that there's a cost of money, a blended cost of slightly less than 6%. That we think is conservative. If that comes down, then all of the cash flows will look that much better. Again, we want to and build in that conservative element because, as you know, we are several months away from even approving this and several months later from an actual bond issue. So effectively, we're some six months away at best. So we want to build that conservativism in there. So with that, yes, yes, Mr. Councilman. Sorry, Mr. Angelo, sir. Thank you. Um, and Mr. Rose, I appreciate 
you know, deferring my earlier question to your slide, but the only number that shows is the three million associated with the Coliseum yes, sir. Uh, on outstanding debt. There's still outstanding debt on other city properties that are slated to be transferred that were part of the original response. These include 5th and Broad Street, 7th and Gray, 6th and Franklin. Um, are those being put into this as well so that the debt can be defeased? No, they're not. They're not. So they still have outstanding debt on them, which right. I still have not been given a number on what is the total outstanding debt. Um, I would defer to our debt manager, um, Jim Duval, if you want to speak, Jim. And then, Mr. Rose, yes, what is the current rate that the city is paying on its $3 million for the Coliseum? I can get that for you, Jim, unless you have it, but we can get that. That's easy. Okay. Uh, good morning. Jim Duval, debt manager for the city. We, we do have a chart that, that lists all of the outstanding debt that we'll, we'll provide um, today. What the chart that we've been provided now twice, it's the same chart, I don't know if you have a different one, doesn't show the total outstanding. It shows on an annual basis how much is going to be paid towards principal and how much is going to be paid for interest, therefore what is the annual debt service. And then you show that, are we to assume, and I don't like making assumptions about data that gets provided because I want clarity, but are we to assume that the bottom number, uh, for example, the 5th and Marshall parking dot garage has $24 million of outstanding principal? Or is it greater than that? Because your uh, Fifth and Marshall does have $24 million, but that facility will continue to be owned and operated by the city, and, so and we will continue to make the debt service. Does Fifth and Broad Street have more than $2.8 million of outstanding debt? That's, that's the number I show here as well. But is that the total? That's what is not articulated clearly here, which is forcing you and myself to make assumptions about how to interpret this chart. Um, well, I have it broken out year by year and then totaled it at the final year in 2032. And we have no outstanding debt beyond 2032 on any of these facilities? On any of these. Okay. That would be helpful if it were more clearly articulated that way because as it's presented, we're having to make assumptions. And as you can imagine, when we're talking about this type of a project, I'm not willing to make an assumption. Okay. And I don't think anybody on council should be willing to make an assumption. I think everybody should be asking questions to get clarification and we should receive the level of documentation that is expected so that we're not making these types of assumptions. Okay. Well, I, I have the chart um, broken out year by year with principal and interest for each of the facilities. Um, each of the parking facilities, uh, which which I can email to you or to to Megan. Yes, if you would email it to Megan, that would be great. And it also semester. includes the social services. Uh, it, it does. There's a yeah. one million one hundred thousand yeah. dollars of debt, a principal. Right. There's one payment <clears throat> remaining that will be made in October of next year. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. Okay. So at this point, uh, Madam President, we'd like to have uh, representatives from the underwriters do a little deeper dive into uh, the bond sizing and some other elements while they're here. Um, I'll let them introduce themselves, but these are the Citigroup folks. So. Thank you. I will defer to whoever changes that. Okay. 
Madam President, Council Members, my name is Bill Carrado. I'm a director for Citigroup Global Markets, one of the two um, uh, underwriters for the transaction. Um, my responsibility for Citigroup's public finance department is uh, I head our real estate group, and I have national re responsibility for transactions like, like the city's. Good morning, Madam President, members of Council. Thank you Good for having us today. Um, I'm Kent Lawrence with J.P. Morgan. Uh, I head up our Southeast banking practice uh, at J.P. Morgan. By way of background, um, as has been mentioned by the Davenport representatives, to, uh, to finance the $245 million arena project, um, roughly $300 million of bonds will be, will be issued, in addition to pay for costs of the arena, as uh, Mr. Rosen mentioned, uh, we'll set aside monies for to pay interest during the uh, development of the project, to, uh, put aside monies for various required reserve funds. Um, the bonds are secured solely by a basket of taxes, including real estate taxes, sales taxes, meals taxes, uh, other forms of taxes, as well as arena revenues. Uh, most important, uh, the bonds are secured solely by those revenues. Uh, they are non-recourse to the city. Uh, uh, very standard in, in revenue secured by incremental taxes. There's no recourse uh, at all to the city. Should there be a shortfall in debt service, all the bondholders can look for is what may be the future tax revenues and arena revenues, monies on reserve and the debt service reserve fund and the stabilization firm uh, uh, fund we'll talk about in a minute. Uh, this is a very uh, standard uh, way of financing uh, development projects like this, where, uh, where cities set aside uh, future incremental tax revenues in support of economic uh, development projects to reinvigorate the downtowns. Um, as, as mentioned earlier, um, we've been working on this uh, for uh, just about two years in conjunction with the development team um, as partners in the, uh, in the financing. Um, to go, as, as Mr. Rose was saying, uh, we present here our sources and uses of funds uh, to finance the $245 million arena project, to set aside monies to pay interest while the, uh, the project is developed, to set aside monies in the debt service reserve fund, which is available to bondholders should tax revenues and arena revenues be insufficient. Uh, to pay for the various costs of the of the financing, to set aside monies, to uh, to refinance the uh, the 2009 general obligation bonds, uh, that results in issuing 311 million dollars of bonds. As inv investors in these types of transactions are uh, sophisticated um, institutional uh, money managers uh, that. Uh, that look for projects like this, frankly, to, uh, to uh, uh, seek funds that pay, frankly, higher interest rates than uh, a standard general obligation bond might fund. There are investors that are looking for more yield in this low-rate environment, and these are projects that they, uh, they seek to participate in. Um, just like uh, when we were sort of uh, looking at this project, What's most important to us as a firm that will underwrite bonds, what's most important to our investors, is who are the project sponsors? Uh, where is the project located? Uh, is, the, is the development project a, a risky a construction and development project? 
what's the financial strength of the revenues that will be used to pay debt service? And what is the legal structure? Are there sufficient reserves set aside for rainy day funds? Uh, how how uh, will the bonds get repaid from excess revenues? Uh, is there ongoing disclosure that's given to a, a bond investors on how the development is proceeding uh, during the development cycle? Uh, these are all key credit considerations for these types of incremental tax financings. And, uh, you know, as we note on this slide, uh, the, 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 this transaction is well positioned for success in the, um, you know, with our bond investors. Uh, we have a, um, a, a development team that the city selected that has significant experience in similar mixed-use projects and arena projects. Uh, the city, as, as the capital of the Commonwealth, uh, people tend to want to invest, in, people meaning investors tend to want to invest in economic development projects in, in major cities and in, and in state capitals. Uh, as far as the project development risk, uh, we obviously need to be sure that the development team has access to the site, that there's no impediments to put a shovel to the ground, that, uh, that there's been uh, important environmental work done, that uh, the permitting process will proceed, uh, and so there's no impediments to start construction uh, when uh, we all are ready to go to market with our financing. Uh, and most important at all, we want to be sure that the arena project gets delivered and built on time and on budget, so guaranteed maximum price contracts will be, will be required. Uh, as, as far as, uh, since our project depends upon the mixed-use projects being, being built and the arena being built, we want to be sure that uh, the development team has the required equity and debt capital available to it to build the vertical construction. And through your development agreement with them, uh, you have set out very specific requirements that they need to have in hand before we can take our arena bond financing to the market. Uh, and uh, so that's, that's the strength of this financing is the conditions precedent you are putting on the development team before we can go to, to, to market. Uh, we want to be sure, since our transaction relies solely on those basket of tax revenues and the arena revenues, we need to be sure that they have been uh, expertized, they've been validated. Uh, to date, HRNA has pre prepared a market study for the, the mixed-use projects and demonstrated that if you build it, they will come, uh, that there's need for more hotels, need for more residential space, need for more commercial uh, space in, in the city. Uh, CSNL, a well-known arena consulting firm, has demonstrated that this arena uh, will be successful in this marketplace. Uh, ultimately, Municap, who's, who's here today and who will speak about their tax revenue forecast, uh, and they, are, they, they have experience with over 200 projects around the country, uh, they ultimately will prepare the report that we will use to show to our um, investors that we will use to structure the debt uh, in this financing. Uh, finally, as far as uh, coverage ratios, you heard uh, this transaction, because it's non-recourse, we need to provide our, uh, our investors with a cushion between what Municap projects for their revenues uh, versus what the debt service is. And for transactions like that, that are secured uh, almost 60% by uh, real property taxes and then other types of taxes and arena revenues, uh, Precedent transactions and the market's telling us to assume that you need to provide bondholders with at least 1.5 times debt service coverage, 
when you see our detailed analysis in a few seconds, you'll see that uh, that coverage ratio is met, and that's how we structure the bonds to be sure it fits below that, that revenue curve. And then finally, as far as the legal structure, uh, very standard in, in, in transactions like this. Uh, we set aside monies from, uh, from bond proceeds for a debt service reserve fund uh, equal to uh, uh, the maximum amount of principal and interest due in a year. Uh, as well as we uh, use the first dollars of excess tax revenues to fund a second reserve fund, a stabilization fund, uh, which uh, enables us to tell our investors that, you know, if there is a, a, a blip in the road, uh, if, uh, you know, if we don't have this wonderful economy, we still do, uh, you know, in several years, that, you know, there'll be nearly uh, you know, $60 million sort of in the bank available for any debt, uh, debt service shortfall. Yep. So, so terms and conditions, um, a lot of this has already been stated, so I won't necessarily go through each one of these, uh, but the, the, the real theme of all this is, in addition to being non-recourse to the city and insulating the city from any risk uh, for the transaction, we also have to be cognizant of structuring something that investors are going to like, something they're going to be interested in. So as we, as we sort of walk through these, and a lot of these things are, are, are built in there for investor protection as well as city protection. So I think a couple of the key points, you know, we talked about the non-recourse part. Uh, I think you've heard about the reserve fund. You've seen information on, you know, how the funds are distributed among the various accounts. Uh, the stabilization fund, again, you know, we're trying to create some strength within the financing structure uh, for the city and for the investors. Uh, we've, we've got a 30-year maturity you'll see in a, a future graphic where we talk about the potential for perhaps amortizing the bonds a little quicker. Uh, to make that happen. Um, this is going to be a public offering, and I think the, the key thing here is, is these are going to be sold to sophisticated investors. Um, it's a, a very specific set of investors that are interested in these type of projects. And then last but not least, the conditions precedent that we've talked about. I mean, there's a number of uh, points here, but I think obviously it's, you know, key for the sufficient funding for the project related to the development agreement. Uh, that's one of the key things, but these will all be different items that we look at as we're working through the process to try to make sure that we deliver these in advance of the bond issue. So how do we sort of uh, do our work in structuring the, the, the bond transaction? Well, it all starts with uh, with, with Municap's projections of, of revenues available to pay debt service, and uh, yeah, they, will, they will speak to this page in detail, but uh, if, if you will, the numbers in the right hand, far right-hand column become the, the numerator in our, our math exercise to determine debt service coverage and what our debt service looks like. And we show that specifically on the following page. So uh, the revenues available for debt service, again, we, we take the Municap projected revenues. Uh, we earn in the interest earnings and the various reserve funds held under account that, uh, that Mr. Rose spoke about. Uh, the debt service reserve fund earnings. Uh, we pay administrative expenses of, uh, of the issuer of the bonds, things like annual trustee fees. And then we get to uh, the middle column there, total available revenues available for debt service. And we create a debt service structure that, again, provides two things. Number one, a minimum of 1.5 times coverage of, uh, of debt service. Uh, in the early uh, years, as we mentioned, a large amount of our uses of funds is for capitalized interest, and that's shown on the column uh, entitled capitalized interest. 
So $44 million is set aside and held with the bond trustee to pay interest on the bonds while this project is developed and absorbed. And then graphically, I think this, 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 this picture really shows ultimately the city being the beneficiary of the incremental tax revenues. The dotted black line shows the revenues available for debt service and how those revenues are allocated. You know, working from the bottom up, navy blue, baby blue, orange are amounts for the debt service on the bonds. The gray boxes are us using 50% of the excess tax revenues to prepay the bonds. So the bonds will have, every year will have a schedule or stated interest in principle amount, but we also provide 50% of that excess to bondholders to prepay the bonds earlier than their required principle and interest date. And then the other 50%, noted in green, is used and distributed to the city. And by doing that, effectively the bonds that have a 2048 required maturity date because of the excess cash flow and the coverage we've created, the bonds will be repaid based upon these projected revenues by 2039. And then obviously, ultimately, after the bonds are repaid, the city is the beneficiary of all of those revenues. And we capture the amount of excess revenues to the city in that box in the top right-hand corner. Yes, sir. Just a simple question. Excess revenues to the city year one through five, see that. Then why does it just reset and go one through ten versus just saying five through ten? Is there something that's happening in years one through five that are captured in that 36? No, sir. Effectively, the first five years, there's zero because we're using those excess revenues to fund reserve funds and pay for project costs. So effectively, years six through ten are $36 million. And I don't know if there's some administrative issue of why it just resets to one to ten versus just saying six. You're absolutely right. Okay. Just by way of background, we were asked to provide a couple of sort of successful case studies. We had the good fortune in 2012 in working with the city of Allentown, Pennsylvania, Commonwealth's third largest city after Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, obviously, and in desperate need of downtown revitalization. The state and the city decided that an arena to be built downtown would make Allentown once again a destination for the surrounding area. Most people had fled the city of Allentown and moved out to the suburbs. In conjunction, working with the state and the city, with their financial advisor, we created a neighborhood improvement zone, much like your district, where tax revenues in that district were captured and used in 2012 to build this new arena project. Those bonds are very similar to yours. They're non-recourse. Neither the city nor the state has any responsibility for those bonds should they fail. What's most important 
uh, here is what's, what's happened since and because of that arena, much like uh, obviously is, is the goal of, of this project, is subsequent to, uh, to that arena being financed in 2012 uh, and receiving a nice award in 2013, is other developers have now come to, uh, to the city and invested uh, nearly a billion dollars in downtown Allentown to build uh, additional residences for the people that are now working in all the new commercial office space that has been built and have uh, and are enjoying the new restaurants and, and sort of a downtown life. Uh, another example, uh, uh, Kansas City, Kansas and, and Wyandotte County, Kansas, uh, in the uh, in the mid 90s, uh, they uh, you know, obviously, uh, as I'll tell you, they're not they're not Kansas City, Missouri. They're Kansas City, Kansas. Uh, uh, they they needed to find ways to bring economic development to uh, to Kansas City, Kansas, and uh, again and chose and working with the state again uh, created a sales tax increment or star bond program where uh, incremental sales taxes were used to uh, be the source of uh, repayment for bonds. Uh, what happened, the first project that came to town was a NASCAR Speedway. And since that, as we show in these pictures, major other sports venues, uh, entertainment venues, a shopping area, uh, office buildings have come to Kansas City, Kansas, driven up the tax base, driven up the sale, uh, property tax base, driven up the sales tax base, um, and been a, a, a successful project. We've got a number of slides coming up next. On, just, uh, just before, before we move on, um, Madam President, if, you, if, yes. if I may, um, you showed us a couple case studies, successful TIF, TIF, TIF districts. Got any unsuccessful ones? Got any ones that did not perform up to margin or up to expectation? Because I know typically yep. we, what we it, like to leave it, with. It's, 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 it's a fair question. And I'll, I'll go back to the, again, the, the, the charge of our plan of finance uh, and this project from, from day one has been to insulate the city. Uh, so in, in a short answer is the, 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 the bond investors may see a project as unsuccessful. Uh, and, and again, that's why we limit our offering of the bonds to high-yield investors. And we're, we remind them that these bonds are sold without a credit rating. And so they are deemed non-investment grade. And because of that, they're getting the interest rates that they, that they realize because they know they're, they are taking the risk. Uh, does that mean the projects for the cities, cities got built? So projects got built. Vertical development was built. Um, investors are taking the risk. So if you ask our, our municipal clients, projects get built. If you ask bond investors that maybe didn't get the 150 coverage in a couple of years got 0.9 times coverage, maybe they say they, they but, but they knew that going in that, and, and, uh, and, and, get, and get paid that higher interest rates. Right. <laughs> I appreciate your answer. Thank you. Ms. Robertson. Thank you, Madam President. Um, I'd like to go back to the chart, the graph, the graphic that you um, presented. Uh, the question I have in regards to the excess revenue available to the city, uh, you're showing revenue will actually be made available back to the city as early as 2026, is that correct? That's, yes, that's correct, yep. And that 
is with uh, the understanding that 50% of the revenue available has already been uh, assigned for to cover the additional costs as put into a reserve fund? So That's correct. Is at yes. 50%. And so am I to understand this chart? What's happening at 20 39. <clears throat> so in, 20, in, 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 in 2039, because we have, to your point, we have sort of held back monies uh, from uh, some of the tax revenues collected uh, while we also have capitalized interests, uh, we've, we've set aside monies in the stabilization fund and we set aside monies into the, in, in the debt service reserve fund from, from, from bond closing. Those, those, two, uh, uh, those two dollar amounts, you know, nearly $60 million, once the, the bonds are, are repaid, they're used, if you will, effectively, and they become a source of funds to pay that last debt service amount. Right? So, so when we're doing the math to determine how much money do we have available to repay the bonds, in 2039, because we are sitting on a pot of money, roughly $60 million, in these two reserve funds, and we know that if we have $60 million of bonds outstanding, we use the monies in the reserve fund to repay the bonds. And that's why, effectively, in addition to the revenues that year, uh, we, have, we have the liquidation of those two reserve funds as a source of revenues to repay the bonds. Okay, so I appreciate that. And so essentially you're saying to me that by 2039, the bonds will be paid in full. That's correct. Um, and so all of the revenue that had been generated over uh, in the other categories uh, to include the all, all fees and uh, interest and all of those payments will cease to be there. As That's correct. Um, question as it relates to the longevity of the development and why would we look be looking at uh, finances or revenues past the period of time that we are actually closing out uh, the revenue debt of the bonds? Again, back, step one, uh, most transactions in the municipal marketplace are 30-year transactions. Uh, also because we have to provide a cushion of, uh, you know, to investors that you know these revenues may not be you know uh, you know uh, where that dotted line is, but in some years because of recessions in the future might be a little bit lower. We have to provide that that debt service coverage. So because of the nature of these uh, of a financing secured solely by incremental revenues, um, we we can't do a transaction effectively. What you're saying is you know with one times coverage. So if we could do a transaction, if we found an investor that would buy could buy bonds based upon one times coverage, revenues equal debt service, we could do a transaction that, you know, that matured in 2039. But because of them requiring this amount of coverage, and also because, you know, typically the, the municipal bonds are 30-year maturities, the, you know, the, the stated and the required principal and interest is 2048. So effectively, if, you know, if, if revenues are volatile, if they're higher or they're lower, um, the, the bonds are only required to pay what their stated principal and interest is, and then they know that uh, in any given year the, the excess 50 uh, is applied to uh, repay bonds. And just based upon the current projections, that's 2039. Okay, so I, I think my question is, um, or what I'm trying to 
determine uh, the length of time that we are financing the bonds. And this chart is uh, roughly 20 years. Based correct? on this projection, it's 20 years, exactly. Uh, and you're saying typically this is a 30-year financing? Yeah, uh, again, the, okay. effectively what happens is uh, the bond investors, the bonds, uh, because they're only, we're only required to pay them their requ required principal and interest date for over 30 years, if, if these revenues don't materialize, if they're higher or they're lower, they can't, you know, there's no default, if you will, on the bonds. Okay. Uh, All right. So it appears to me that it is costing us more <clears throat> with this financing model just because um, these are non-recourse bonds. Correct. It's costing us more. Uh, it is also costing us more because we are looking at a shorter finance period of time um, verse, as it relates to the revenue, the increase in revenue that would be coming back to the city over that same period of time. So if we finance these bonds over the 30 years that is made available to us, um, Plus, knowing the difference of what the cost is because they're non-recourse bonds, what kind of difference that would make as it relates to cash flow over the entire period of time the, for the, the city? If, so if, if the city is in a situation where we are looking at um, multiple needs, huge needs, uh, infrastructure, schools, you name it, and... Um, so the cash return to the city to be able to uh, adequately plan for our infrastructure needs as we go through this process um, is actually being spread, is being restricted to uh, a 20-year period of time where we could actually look at additional revenue in that first 20 years if we were financing the bonds over 30 years, I guess is the question. That I'm looking at. Councilman Robertson, if I could, uh, Madam President, um, the reason that these bonds, by their very nature, are non-recourse and, yes, have a 5.8% estimate is because we, the city, don't have the debt capacity to be able to do these bonds as recourse bonds. That would not only deeply affect our interest rates that we pay okay, for all I'm, future I'm bonds. comfortable with that. I okay. realize that that's the reason why we're we're paying more because we can't afford to do anything else. I appreciate that because of our current debt capacity levels and so forth. What I'm asking more specifically is that the city still, because of our debt capacity level, this, this development in itself does not do as much as, it, as helping us to see a difference in our debt capacity in the 20-year period of time, because 50% of the revenue that could be coming back to the city is being reserved for the, um, the special accounts to accumulate the $60 million. My question is, but yet, if, is it possible to spread the debt service payments for the arena over 30 years instead of 20 years, and would that give us a greater return of revenue uh, coming back to the city to address our infrastructure needs? It would. In the it would, yes. I mean, and is that a possibility yeah. of doing 
it this way, or does the recourse bonds mandate or is requiring us to do 20 years instead of 30? Yeah, Councilmember, again, as, as we approached this, again, we, we were asked as, as, you know, as, a, as a partnership here with experience with these transactions, uh, b because, you know, these transactions typically have these, these prepayment options. Uh, so, so when we were asked to put together a plan of finance that would insulate the city and be attractive to, uh, to bond investors, uh, we, we frankly wanted to sort of, you know, share the upside, if you will, share okay, the... Okay, but, but uh, all I'm asking, I'm not right. asking you to change anything. I'm just right. asking you, is that an option that the city could consider a 30-year financing versus to pay out the bonds versus 20 years? Well, I, I'll get the point... I, the point being, I think you're asking, can the the gray become green, right? And and we effectively continue to pay debt service for those last ten years. Right. And, and my point is uh, that type of structure where we were not telling investors that yes, your bonds are due in 2048, but you know, but you can expect them to be repaid earlier. Um, that would be a negative to to bond investors. That would be at least a, le a less attractive a bond investment tool for investors because they were not getting any of the upside revenues of that coverage. Right now, this 50-50 sharing, uh, you know, is, 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 in their mind, an equitable sharing of the excess. Uh, these transactions, um, you know, oftentimes are built in, uh, in the majority of times, frankly, are built, are built in where investors, yes, they're taking 30-year risk, but they also want to know that there's a good likelihood that those bonds will mature in some shorter time, and uh, then. Uh, so, can you, run, can you run an analysis just so that we can see it over thirty? Well, years that, that can be, and we to, to do that, we we may need to sort of increase the interest rate because effectively, then a bondholder, rather than buying a bond that mat that they feel could likely mature in two thousand thirty nine. Uh, uh, now a bond that would mature in 48, and we may have to add interest rate to, to that. I'd like to see a scenario. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. So um, let's be clear. We're asking for a run on the 30-year uh, repayment since especially said most of these uh, municipal bonds mature 30-year period. So a run over 30 years. I hear the interest rate would uh, possibly increase but the same kind of projection that you have here, we'd like to see as well. Yeah. Thank you, Ms. Robertson. Ms. Larson. Um, hi. Thank you. So on page 9, in the second column, where you have the projected Dominion Tower, are you, are you on page 9? Um, are you talking about the the tower that's already built or the tower that could be built? Going to be built. Excuse me? Going to be built. Okay. I'm sorry? It, that, that column represents both, both towers, that the revenues includes both towers. It includes so the it, one it, that is already existing built. And one to be built, correct. Okay. So how dependent on on this whole financing thing is the second potential tower. If, if those revenues came out 
we would not, I think Mr. Rose addressed this, we would not be at the 1.5 times coverage requirement. So, so the amount of bonds we could issue would be that much less. Okay, so if the second tower is not rebuilt, then can you say that again? If, this, if, if we lose revenues from the second tower, uh -huh. we can support less debt service from a, a, a lower amount of revenues, which means the bonds, rather than having $245 million available for an arena project, would have something less than that. So is every scenario that we've been, well, you probably can't speak to this, but somebody else can. Is every scenario we're looking at based on the assumption that Dominion is building the second tower? That's correct. Okay. And can Davenport or somebody else confirm that? Yes. Ms. Larson, thank you for the question. Um, the answer is um, we have demonstrated, and we got a little bit later in our presentation, that if we don't have that second tower built, our debt service coverage is about a 1.33 times based upon this quicker redemption, if you would. So it's not really a financeable transaction. As Mr. Karate and those folks have said, we need one and a half times. So what would have to happen then is instead of having $245 million available for the arena, that number would come down. Um, we have run those numbers historically. We'd have to run them again. It's been a long time since we've run those, but that's an easy thing for all of us to do, just so you know. Have you run those numbers and then presented them to us? No, we did not run and present them to you because, again, it was non-financeable. It was something that, that was, why show you something that doesn't work? But we have shown you in a few minutes uh, the fact that the 1.33 times, which is our way of saying, if we are told, and I'm meaning us as, as y'all's advisor, that we need $245 million, that's what we've been using as the assumption, uh, we can't get there. That's, that's the point. So has Dominion made a decision on this tower? Because uh, I can't my understanding speak to that. I will. is Sharon, they I think, have, you're going, they I think Sharon a, is the most capable person on behalf of the administration. So I'll be quiet. Let her talk. Well, and I would like to add to this, has Dominion made a commitment on that second tower? And that's been codified and captured in this set of agreements anywhere. Is the... I guess, is the second tower being rebuilt contingent on this plan? Good morning, Council President Newbill and Council Members. Sharon Ebert, I'm the Deputy Chief Administrative Officer for Economic and Community Development for this city. Um, I can't speak for Dominion uh, Energy. However, I can tell you that the permit for the demolition of the current tower that they're in has been pulled, and they plan, if you've read the paper, to take down the older building uh, in the beginning of the first quarter of 2020. They've also put in for, applied for, the building permit for the second tower. That permit has not been issued yet because the plans reviews are still underway. Uh, it is a slightly um, less taller building than the first tower, but the fact that they've paid for uh, the fee for the building permit gives me every indication that they plan to move forward with the second tower. Okay. I have a question for legal. 
Yes, Ms. Lawson. Um, so is there anything in the legal documents that speaks to the second tower being built and the relationship between the approval of this plan and the construction of that second tower? It's my understanding is that the construction of the second tower is not one of the conditions precedent uh, to financing the uh, bonds for the arena. And so, if I can add something as well, so and, and the underwriters can underscore this, but that is a risk that the underwriters take, is that they have to have a very good feel or a belief that that second tower will be built. Um, they can address this, but uh, again, that's why in a non-recourse mode, that really falls on the underwriters and their investors. Uh, if that second tower doesn't get built and they can still sell those bonds, um, again, to the extent those revenues are short, that is going to fall to the investors, not to the city or to, uh, again, to, to our debt capacity. That's the, that's the beauty of why this is set up the way it is, Councilman. Okay. Thank, thank you for all that information. Just one quick comment. Um, it would just be helpful if when things like this are pulled out, if there's some sort of context. I feel like there are things that people are saying on the edge of these conversations, but are, we're not really directly addressing some of these issues. I do know that the, the new Dominion Tower is our highest assessed property in downtown Richmond. So I assume if the second tower would be built, it would be equal or more than that. So this is a significant source of revenue that is being put in this TIF and will help fund this project. And I, I feel like we're talking around it and we're not directly addressing it. I think I, I, I understand where you're coming from on this. You may want to add this. This is, our, this is the developer. Um, and so, again, the developer can sort of talk to that. Right. Madam President, City Council members, I'm Susan Eastridge, part of the Navy Hill Development Team. It's important to note that today we're looking at Projection 26, which means there have been 25 projections before this. All along the way during the last two years, we've been running continually, continual sensitivities to determine what, how we get to feas financial feasibility for a new arena. We've had bond sizing exercises that have been lower and higher, and the underwriting continues to evolve. The decision to look at, to include in our projection a second Dominion Tower was based on the fact that we wanted to look at anything in the pipeline currently in planning at the City of Richmond. So undoubtedly there will be other projects that we will see in our projections over the next four to six months. You know, there's other things that are being planned. We just didn't include things that weren't active in the city yet. So if we can understand that our projections are at this current point in time, the confidence of the entire finance team on putting those types of assumptions into the projection are based on good information. But it's a point in time and every, um, when Municat goes through the projection, you'll see that there's literally thousands of assumptions that are made, and we can walk you through any and every, every one of those. I hope that might help a little bit.
Yes, I um, no. I don't know that that was as clarifying for me. And as a matter of fact, added even more in terms of the discussion when you say that there are other things that might be taken into consideration that as we look down the what okay. um, are you, other projects that might offset if the second tower doesn't come? What are you the simplest, to exactly? the simplest way to look at it is if, if in our next projection we didn't believe that there was a second tower, we would do the sensitivity, and we actually have done that. What it, what it shows under our current set of assumptions, you take that out, that service coverage goes down below our 1.5. Therefore, our 245 million of bond proceeds are less than that. Yeah, our current arena is budget is floating around 200, 235 million. We use our bond sizing exercises to see what type of headroom we have. You know, to always make sure that we're comfortably feasible for what we're talking about. So if you think about the study that the administration did through Hunden's strategic partners, Hunden um, took our development team's numbers and actually added that uplift that we've talked about at the last couple sessions. They think that there will be more revenue generated um, than what the developers' assumptions show. So someplace in the middle, there's going to be other projects developed in the city of Richmond, I guess we sort of drew sort of a bead on the, the second Dominion Tower. Um, that, was a, 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 that was a discretional inclusion to look at that since it was in planning and they pull, pulled the permit. Um, but we could have put other projects in if they were at that same stage. So again, it's a point in time. It's a set of assumptions that all of the, between the city administration, their financial advisors, and our development team and our finance team, we felt that they were legitimate assumptions to look at today in our projections. That any better? I, well, um, I, I'm interested in seeing the other set of projections that didn't include that second tower. We can, we that, can provide the uplift items at this point as well. I, I'm just, this is, yeah, and it, I mean, it's a lot predicated on the having the second tower come online. Yeah, you'll see a little bit more of that sensitivity today and then we can follow up okay. and really give you those scenarios. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Ms. Ms. Robertson, did you have an additional question? I have. Thank you. So I want to make sure that I'm clear, first of all, when we speak of the TIF, uh, projected TIF district, we're speaking of the total 80 blocks or something that we're thinking of, okay. Um, and Whereas the projections as it relates to the Dominion Tower, the projection remaining for the expansion within the uh, TIF district. It is clear to us, or clear to me as it relates to two towers for Dominion. What is not clear as to what are you, what are you looking at to come up with your projections for the remaining uh, uh, expanded area of the TIF district? What, what factors, what development, what level of um, real estate uh, value increases needs to be achieved uh, in order to hit those projections? Are you looking at those projections over the 20 years or 30 year period of time? And, what is your estimation of uh, increased property values that you're projecting over that period of time? And 
what types of development would likely have to be coming out of the ground in order to make that happen. And so I, I think that will help me have a great appreciation for what Richmond downtown is going to look like beyond just the pictures that I've seen for the, you know, the arena area. Mm-hmm. Um, and that takes me back to my concerns as it relates to what additional costs the city is going to experience as it relates to uh, any development that is being projected. Because whenever we do development, there are other incentive packages that are needed. There's other infrastructure that has to be put in by the city to make sometimes those kinds of things happen. And so I want to make sure that we are being um, uh, cognizant of the fact that there may be additional costs that we should be planning for as it relates to meeting these projections that we have in this proposal. The, the projections that the development team have provided that MINICAP has put together for us, they will be reviewing those momentarily with you. They do not assume any new development beyond that second Dominion Tower. There's just a general 2% inflation rate. So the Hunden report, which was done citywide, does analyze what I would call um, a halo effect, meaning other developments going to occur beyond Navy Hill, which is a reasonable assumption. And they've done those measurements within their analysis. But our analysis that's the basis for this bond financing does not include any development projects other than looking at the planned second tower for Dominion Energy. Okay, so just to be clear, we have a lot of raw land in the 80 block area, huge amount. Your projections for this development does not uh, only increase the assessment value growth by 2%. For anything other than what we're building, yes. For anything other? Well, we know we're building new buildings. That's our master plan. And so the incremental revenue that comes off of these new buildings is the basis of our projections. But anything that we're not controlling in this Navy Hill agreement with the city of Richmond is not, there's no assumption that anything else is happening other than the inclusion of the second Dominion Tower. Okay, Okay. so I want to be clear, I'm here, uh, Dr. Newbill, and hopefully I won't have to repeat this again. Mm -hmm. Your proposal projections does not include any significant development in the 80 block area other than the area that you identify specifically where the arena Mm -hmm. blocks are. Uh, The remaining, I don't know how many, 50, 60 blocks you're only projecting growth at 2%. That is correct. And again, I think it's reasonable to believe new buildings will happen in that incremental finance area, but we are not projecting that because we don't know about those. We're not in control of those. Okay, I'm clear. Thank you. Thank you. Councilman Robertson, if I could, Madam President, just just make a comment. Um, We are going to, if time permits, 
show you that 80 block area again in some presentation work that we've done after Mr. Rice comes. But I think you're going to hopefully like the fact that what was done here by the developer and what has been looked at by the underwriters is then a very conservative assumption which speaks to your whole point. And that is that the assessor's office indicated that we use a 2% assessed value growth overall outside of those specific blocks. Having said that, Hunden, on their independent review, said that if you were think about those 80 blocks, there's sort of like a two-layer piece to that. There's the immediate around those, we'll call it those parcels that I'll show you. They think that's going to grow not at 2%, but about 3.5% on average, speaking to your point. And then a little further away from the preponderance of where those blocks are, that's going to grow, they think, at about 3% or 1% over and above the general estimates that these folks have used for their numbers. So that's what we mean by the Hunden uplift. If it's any help to y'all, we have basically used and the uplift. We've also excluded that uplift as been required by the previous meeting that we had. So you really have it both ways. Now, one last point I'd like to make, and that is this. If I could, one cent, Mr. Mr. Jones, Councilman Jones. No, I'm just doing that first. Okay. One more point, and that is this. If you look at not having that second tower anytime soon, not having that second tower, but you incorporate that Hunden uplift, you will find that we will meet and more than meet that 1.5 times coverage. Because the whole area, the belief is that there is a substantial uplift. Yes. Right. One, yes have one follow question that I'd like to be clear on. So I think you'll be an ultra-conservative as it relates to 2% and uh, what we would expect to happen in that area, yes. even if we weren't doing an arena. Um, this area has has gone undergone significant uh, right. investment opportunities mm -hmm. um, that I would hope and I would think that the city is already thinking from an economic growth perspective that there's going to be growth there. However, what you are saying to me is that you're projecting 2%, but is the terms of the agreement that any increase in real estate values, even if it goes above that 2%, any increase in real estate values are still restricted from coming to the city um, to support the development, the costs of the development for this, for this area? So here's, here's how it works. So if you got Okay, I understand. So okay. let's assume, and I have a little slide, but let me just do it verbally if I could. If under the very conservative approach, we had $30 million of revenues, incremental revenues, and we had basically what we're saying is debt service is $20 million. We're going to have $10 million extra dollars. Those all go back to the city. They go back to the city. The way they go back to the city is in the first several years, they go back in the form of building up that second reserve, which these folks call a stabilization fund. That's the same thing. Second reserve, stabilization fund. That's to take care of if we have recessions, if we have other problems, we're building in that extra conservatism. Now, to go to your point, 
Let's assume in a good way that we're wrong. We don't have 30 million of revenues. We have 40 million of revenues because we grow at that higher rate. We still have that same 20 million of debt service. So what then happens is instead of having $10 million that's now going back to the city, we now have $20 million going back to the city. So we're not losing one dime. We hope that you are exactly correct, Councilwoman Robertson, that that growth is greater. And by virtue of that growth is being greater, we're getting more of those dollars coming back to the city quicker. That's the idea here. So what we've tried to do, or they've tried to do, is said, okay, let's just assume it's at that low 2% level. There's still considerable revenues coming back. Does okay, that make so sense? you're saying as a part of this deal, the revenue growth, um, there's a cap. No, there is no cap. That's the whole point. Well, that I revenue growth is coming back to you. It, well, you are, how, how you are assessing what is excessive growth is based on that $20 million, that $20 million that you spoke of, of growth. Really you mean the debt service at $20 million? Yes. I'm just saying, I'm just, that's a hypothetical. The debt service is higher than that. But I'm just saying, if we just said an example of what makes this work is that if it's $20 million of debt service, we need $30 million of revenues to meet that coverage. But right. every excess dollar over and so, above that 20 So with that years. scenario, everything over 30 is considered assets and would come back to the city. No, everything split over the 20. Actually, everything over the 20 goes to you. Okay, so 20. that's the cap that I'm speaking of. Everything above that 20. Yeah, and in this case, just so you know, and Bill could correct me, but I think the max annual debt service is around $28 million. So okay. anything over $28 million it's is going for back the 50, to the 50 split. That's correct. Okay. If you want to say, I'm just, yes. Mr. Jones. <laughs> Thank you, Madam President. Um, and, and again, just, just to make sure that I'm up to speed on everything, stabilization fund insulates the investor, correct? That's correct. And so, and I understand it comes back to the city, but the city can't access that in any particular year if, All the bonds are outstanding. Correct. Right. Okay. So I'm understanding that correct. <clears throat> so, and, and again, I, I guess we're just tomato, tomato. It doesn't necessarily come back to the city for us to use versus it. Well, it, it come back, comes back to pay that last debt service payment. I understand. Yeah. But I mean, but it's, it doesn't come, help you. Coming in your... back to me means that I get to <laughs> reallocate funds, right, if, if necessary. But I understand stabilization fund, it's part of the deal, helps cover in the event. Right. If there is any type of down, economic downturn, mm -hmm. right, um, I know the stabilization fund covers that portion, correct? But what happens if there is any, and th this isn't, th there's a potential impact to the 80 block TIF, right, where if outside of the Coliseum development, other development that is supposed to take place is thrown off by any type of economic downturn, that again impacts um, revenue generated by the TIF. How do we cover ourselves to make sure that developers stay on task in the event? And again, who knows what's going to happen five, ten years? We don't know. Everyone says a recession's coming, right? Okay, I don't know. We don't know when. 
But how do we begin to protect ourselves from a development standpoint that an independent developer who's not a part of the Coliseum still stays on course to get and make development happen? Oh, he's going that oh, way. I thought, he's coming. <laughs> I thought he was coming all the way to it. <laughs> I was looking to toss the football. I'll get down just, just, to, just as, as, you know, representing sort of, again, from the bondholder standpoint, right, step one, there's, there's a district. Within that district, we, we collect this basket of, of pledge tax revenues and obviously the, the arena revenues. And that's the pot of revenues from which investors know is available to pay, to pay, uh, uh, debt service. You know, we as, as, you know, being sure that, you know, the plan of finance raises monies to finance this public asset, the arena, right? Uh, and because our plan of finance, re- you know, relies upon those incremental tax revenues, mm-hmm. that is why in your development agreement, right, you know, the, the developer has, to, has a, a whole set of conditions precedent to be sure that, again, they, they've, you know, that, that they will have the funds to build a vertical. Okay? Because, you know, so we're depending upon what Municap projects in their base case to, is what we're underwriting on. So, and, so, and that, so like every, every we, piece we, of development you know, within the Navy Hill. And again, this, this is probably out, it, it, right. it, I, I will concede this. This part is probably outside of what yeah. you're responsible for. Exactly. But if someone can speak to the fact, again, if, Outside of the Coliseum, outside of the bond, if there's something that happens from an economic downturn standpoint that throws, uh, you know, someone building the hotel or someone building some other facet of this project that impacts the revenue, the tax revenue that we're banking on, come, right. what insulates the project then? Because that impacts the tip. Well, again, the, the Municap folks in a, in a minute will go through their projections on what properties, right? They'll, they'll talk about how they got to their revenue model. And that's what we are underwriting based upon and in giving investors 150 coverage. Okay, okay. so that, is that in the presentation yeah, scenario? I think number it's fine, but I, 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 yeah. I can see that it's Wait, wait, wait. I can't get miss. Right. Mr. Jones? Yes, ma'am. Okay, I'm trying to hear, because you're trying to, res- I'm trying to make sure whether or not yeah. what I'm looking at that has scenario B-1 excluding Hunden is going to respond in any way to Mr. Jones's question about how do we mitigate against what we hear would be a possible economic downturn, what is built in. Is that something you anticipate capturing in this uh, we do. So, so a little bit later in, in our presentation, Councilman or Madam President, we talk about what we really mean by non-recourse bonds. I get all that. No, but, yeah. but I think you'll see why. Because what these folks to the left and right of me are banking on, no pun intended, is that <laughs> even if there is a slowdown, right. that one and a half times is going to be enough excess to take care of their investors. However, as Mr. Karate said earlier, if they're wrong, that's their problem, not ours, okay? That's the whole point here. This non-recourse nature, what is so rare about this financing for us here in the city, which is different than the bond secures, different than the stones, different from all those other projects that we've had for years, okay, is that being truly, completely non-recourse, 
means that they are going to sweat not seeing enough revenues to take care of this debt service. We don't want that to happen. Obviously, we want to see it being robust. But we are insulated. We, the city, are insulated from that. And we have seen that happen in other places throughout the Commonwealth. And that, again, falls on the investors. That's why they're getting a higher than what we could get the interest rate that Councilman Robertson asked for, because they're taking that risk, Councilman Jones. And so because it is a non-recourse bond, that's why there's the stabilization fund yes, sir. to ensure that they get their money. Because you got if it. not, if the risk was totally theirs, then give me the money in the stabilization fund. Which is why when we do revenue bonds like we do for the utility system, right. which is very highly rated, for many, many years, that utility system had a debt service reserve. If you would, we'll call it the same thing, a stabilization fund, right. whatever you want to call it, same thing. Today, this is interesting, the utility system is so strong that when we issue bonds, we don't even need that anymore. That reserve, if you would, doesn't even be required. But for this, a startup project, it is all about anticipating what if the economy slows down, what if things don't happen, and that's why I am looking at this from the perspective of what is the worst case. The underwriters are trying, in effect, to make sure they built in a lot of cushion, and that's what you've got here. So hopefully that's helpful, but Councilman Robertson hit it head on. That area is going to grow. It's dynamic. We get those extra revenues. There is no cap on what comes back to the city. There's only that debt service, whether it is, Councilman Robertson, over 30-year payments, or whether it's over essentially the 21-year, which is that, what they call that turbocharge of prepaying with excess dollars. So that's what we're talking about. Can, can you speak to the tower that's gonna to be torn down currently, right, in 2020? Yes, sir. Um, okay, let hold, me hold just, on, on, is that, in this presentation, because I see one that says excluding the second new Dominion Tower. That's no, what, no, this, this is completely because we're, we're okay. There, there's a tower that's supposed to be torn down in 2020, correct? We receive tax revenue on that currently that's going to be impacted once it's torn down. So let, let me add to that. So the way the structure is set up, that torn down tower, that base value that it is right now will continue to come to the city in form of its general fund okay. dollars. And that That's important. So we are not losing any of those dollars. Okay. When this project ever happens, we're not losing those dollars going forward. That's the important thing. Okay. We're not. Okay. Absolutely, Mr. Jones. Ms. Addison? Did you, sir, I'm, you're joining us. Did you yeah, want to I, add to the inquiry? Madam President, members of council, my name is Arthur Anderson. I'm with uh, McGuire Woods. And I would like to just make sure that I point you to, I would very much like to just point you to three documents and the sections of the three documents that really drive home the non-recourse nature of this. So when you get a chance to go back and read this stuff, you can look right at it. And the first document is the ordinance creating the Navy Hill Fund. And in that ordinance, just in, in the definitions, lays out exactly what revenues, what incremental revenues will be coming to the city, or coming, being appropriated by the city to the EDA to pay the bonds. 
just has it all laid out, and only those revenues will be considered for those appropriations. On page 6 of that, of that ordinance, it, um, it, it states in the limitations. Can you just throw out the ordinance number just for fun? Excuse me? Can you throw out the ordinance number for fun and for the record, please? The, the ordinance, well, this is the draft ordinance now. Um, it doesn't have a number on it. Okay. It was part of the package that was provided. Yeah, well, Councilman yeah. Jones will ask Mr. Jackson. Would you say that a little louder, Mr. Jackson? 212. Thank you. Okay. But on page 6 of that ordinance, again, reinforces uh, and states very clearly only those revenues will be going, um, will be considered for appropriation to the Economic Development Authority to pay the bonds and to fund that um, rate stabilization fund. In the development agreement, which is another part of the package, uh, if you go to, this is all in Article 6, again, Article 6, and that starts on page 30 of that development agreement. This is the development agreement, which is part of the, part of the package that was introduced. Um, it speaks, uh, Section 6.1a, uh, speaks exactly to what we're, we're trying to, to, to say here about the non-recourse. Uh, the, the bonds issued by the EDA will be special obligations of the EDA uh, and secured and repaid solely by the revenues described in the cooperation agreement, which are also described in that ordinance that I, I just referenced and will not be a general or moral obligation of the EDA or the city. So, again, those revenues don't materialize. There's no other source that the city will consider appropriating to the EDA. Uh, if you go then, uh, you, uh, we reference the cooperation agreement. And that is probably, from the Bond Council perspective and from the EDA's perspective, probably the key document that they'll be looking at. Because, again, that sets out the incremental revenues, the list of incremental revenues that will be considered for appropriation. And, again, in Article 6 of that document, which starts on page 12, cooperation agreement, repeats all that same uh, limitation language, that it's not a general obligation, not a moral obligation, only the incremental revenues will be, will be uh, pledged. Madam Chairman, I, 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 Madam President, I thought that this would, would, would help the Council as they go back and uh, look at this huge pile of documents. I think we're find, all working our way through the to find exactly where where uh, where these issues are addressed. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Addison. Thank you, Council President. Um, so, if I just can reiterate, we're being kind of held harmless um, of our current revenues in the existing TIF district. All things considered, with what we have in the proposal, but also moving forward, that's where we are right now. That, that fair is, way to assess what you just. That is Ellen. correct. Okay. There's a baseline value gotcha. that you're protected. 
Thank you. Another part of it, I know we've paid a lot of attention to the second tower. I'd like to see if we could ask some questions around the proposed development in the 10 blocks just north of here. Can you explain what the potential revenues on real estate tax revenues would be just from that development alone? From the other private side, there's a good portion of the project that's privately developed, and there will be revenues captured from that, correct? Because I feel like that's just a question while we're looking at the second tower. In the existing proposal, regardless of the second tower or other developments, there's revenues to be included with this development on the private side that are currently not available. I just want to know approximately what that number is. The back of my napkin, penciled on math, gave me a number, and I wanted to see if that was close to what was being projected. If, in, I guess, 2024, 2025? I think what we'll do is we'll conclude our portion of the presentation. The last part was just a current market overview. I mean, the theme of that is rates are low. It's a good time to be in the marketplace. A lot of the questions you're asking, and I think a lot of the questions that have been presented are in the Municap piece as well, and they've got some more drill-down detail. So we'll yield the floor to Municap. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning, Madam President, members of the Council. My name is Keenan Rice. I'm the president of Municap. Municap was retained by the developer team and also at the request of the underwriting team to prepare projections of tax revenues that would be available to repay the bonds. Obviously, for the underwriting team to prepare a good plan of finance, they need to have some good idea of the revenues that will be available to repay those bonds. This is something that I think I lost the PowerPoint here. There we go. Okay. This is an area in which Municap has a great deal of experience, and when I say a great deal of experience, we've worked on probably over 200 bond issues where we've prepared revenue projections on those bond issues. The revenues that we prepared here, we did so in anticipation that they would be used by the underwriters in the offering document for the bonds. That is the reason why they were asking us to prepare projections at this point in time, so that they could come up with a plan of finance and have those revenues available when it's time to go to the market to issue the bonds. Preparing revenues for the issuance of bonds brings a great deal of discipline to the numbers, and it does so for two reasons. First of all, the investors who buy the bonds are investing tens of millions of dollars. They want to know that they're going to get their money back and get interest on those bonds, and so they look very carefully at the numbers. One thing I know from experience is they don't just take our word for it. They want to look into the numbers and the assumptions that went into those and the basis of those numbers. And one thing that I've learned by experience is they would rather see conservative numbers than aggressive numbers with high coverage, because they just will not rely upon aggressive numbers. We use what we refer to as a conservative reasonable standard when we prepare our projections. We are purposely conservative. And what we mean by reasonable conservative, there's obviously a range of possibilities, reasonable possibilities. There's no projection ever prepared that's exactly correct. The numbers are always different than what's estimated. But by being conservative, we want there to be more possibilities where the numbers are better than we projected than possibilities where the numbers are not as good. I mean, there's obviously a lot of things that can affect numbers. You know, economics, you know, construction, whether Dominion Tower 2 gets built. You know, those things, you make assumptions in the projections, and you don't know exactly what's going to work out. 
but you want to be conservative in the numbers so that there's more possibility that the numbers will be better um, than worse. And as we walk you through the numbers, hopefully you'll see that. When we prepare our numbers, we try to be thorough, um, transparent, and conservative because we know that the investors who are putting up tens of millions of dollars they're going to want to just not see numbers from us. They're going to want to understand the numbers. So they want the numbers to be transparent. And they want to see the basis of those numbers. And they want to see that the basis we've used were not being overly aggressive and, in fact, are being conservative. The second important aspect um, that brings discipline to numbers when you prepare them for an, an offering of bonds is um, the information that goes into that offering statement is governed by the Securities Exchange Commission. And, in fact, we'll be required to provide a certification um, um, called a 10B5, a 10B25. It's a certification that anyone who provides information for, for the offering statement of the bonds will be required to provide. It's required by the SEC. And that certification basically says two things. Number one, the information we provided is accurate to our knowledge. And then number two, we haven't withheld information. So basically it means when you sell bonds, you can't play games. It basically is open book, okay? You have to tell the investors what you know, can be dishonest about it, and you can't hide information. You get the benefit of that same discipline. Well, that's not a legal requirement to provide information that we give to you, because these are the same numbers that are being prepared for the offering of bonds. We do have to prepare them with that thought in mind. And so it tells you that the information that we're providing you is information that is accurate to our knowledge, and we're not withholding information. There's no games being, being played with these numbers. Okay, to get into the specific numbers, what we're going to try to do is drill down into a little more detail in the assumptions that go into the numbers. And I'm going to first go over um, the various revenues that are, are being used to repay the bonds. We specifically prepared the projections for tax revenues. We did not prepare the projections for some of the other revenues, such as the arena revenues. Um, but the various revenues, beginning with the incremental taxes, includes the real property taxes, um, the sales taxes to the city and for some of the properties, a portion of the state, I should say a portion of the city taxes as well, the, a portion of the mills taxes, lodging taxes, and bepole taxes. In addition to um, those various um, tax revenues, there's also the arena revenues, which includes sponsorships, admission taxes, mills taxes, sales taxes, and bepole taxes specifically related to the new activity at the arena, and there's the music hall and armory taxes, and there's parking revenue. So there's a very diverse pool of revenues um, that are going to repay the bonds, um, which is one thing that really helps with the bonds is when you do have a diverse stream of revenues. So beginning with the real property taxes, um, first thing I'd like to mention is we've had very extensive discussions with your with the assessor's office. It's been very helpful. Now, the assessor, it'd be nice if the assessor could just tell us what values to use, but the assessor cannot do that because they have to value property according to a legal process, um, and they have to prepare those values when it's time to prepare them based on information at that point in time. They cannot, you know, commit to any kind of number um, ahead of time outside of that legal process because it would open up those values to challenge at that point in time. Nevertheless, the assessor can and, in fact, have been very helpful in discussing assumptions we've used and discussing, you know, properties that would be good comps um, and even, you know, discussing whether the numbers were reasonable and the other assumptions we've made are reasonable. So we start with, because really what we're preparing is we're trying to estimate what the assessor will do, because the assessor can't tell us what it will do. Um, that's what we're endeavoring to do. And so we start that process 
with conversations with the assessor to understand their thought process and their practice. Um, in looking at the estimate of the property value, we've used three different approaches to value. We've used what's called an income capitalization approach. What that means is property being valued based on the income that an investor would receive. That is the primary approach that the assessor will use as well um, for valuing any property that produces income. Second, we've looked at what's called comparables. And what we mean by comparables, we've looked at other similar properties and we've seen how the assessor valued those other similar properties. Because that gives us a very good idea how the assessor is likely to value this property. And then we third looked at the estimated cost of, of constructing the property because that is one indication you'd expect the property to somewhat, you know, be related to the cost of developing the property. We use these three different approaches to value because they serve as a check on each other. We primarily have used the comparables, which is actually more conservative, lower than the income capitalization. Even though the properties will be valued in most cases based on the income produced by the property, in most cases that was the higher value and we actually used other comps just again to be conservative but it was a good check to have all three of these different bases of the value the income capitalization the comparables and um, the estimated costs for dominion tower one we were able to actually get the um the assessors because now it's time for the assessor to do that. They were able to calculate the value for Dominion Tower 1, and we were able to use that actual value. Um, that value, I might point out, is considerably higher than the values we're estimating for other office property um, within the development, but we're continuing to use our lower values for the other office in the development. For D Dominion Tower 2, um, we used the same value per square foot that's being used for um, Dominion Tower 1. I've been mentioned that the base value has been set in all this property, so all the tax revenues on that current base value continues to go to the city. So moving on to the sales taxes, um, we used an array of restaurants and retailers um, to estimate the sales that would be generated by the, um, by the stores and restaurants within the, um, in the new development. To estimate that, we used um, retailers and restaurants for which there's public information, public financial statements in which they state this information. Um, and that, so that gives us a very solid basis on revenues. Now, we don't know that those exact restaurants and retailers will be located in this project, um, but in conversation with the developer and who they're talking to and, and based on market research, what kind of demand there is, we try to use a representative mix of, of restaurants and retailers. For the, um, for the retail that is amenity for a particular development, um, for example, you might have 15,000 square feet within a block that's being developed as an office or maybe it's being developed with multifamily. We assume 60% of that um, retail development would be restaurant and 40% would, um, would be retail. For the, there's, there's one larger shopping area with an estimated 102,000 square feet, um, if my memory is correct, that's in block N or block I, it's block I. We um, estimated 100% of that would be retail, which I think is a conservative estimate because restaurants produce more tax revenues and typically more sales. But we assumed 100% of that um, retail in block I um, would be retail with no restaurants. And then, of course, we applied 1% um, of the city taxes, and for those blocks, block A2, A3, and F, where um, we should also be able to capture a portion of the sales tax, um, we estimated the, the um, state taxes from that um, retail as well.
For the hotel, um, we base the hotel occupancy taxes based on the, um, the guest room rates. There is two different market analyses done for the hotel. Um, there's the numbers that we show here that we use. There's a second analysis that showed a lower room rate but higher occupancy. The two are about the same amount of revenue. So it was good to have two different um, market consultants look at the hotel and evaluate the revenues. And, and, while they, and, and the reality is you can somewhat um, dictate occupancy by your room rates. Obviously, lower room rates, you'll have a higher occupancy. But both consultants came up with approximately the same unprojected revenues. Um, we assumed 100% of the revenues would be available for the debt service. We are aware that those revenues have already been pledged to the convention center bonds, so this will be a subordinate pledge. One of the things we looked at with the underwriting team is what is the current coverage on the convention center bonds to help evaluate whether this was meaningful to the bondholders. Bondholders are always concerned when you tell them they have a subordinate interest, and um, so it was necessary to evaluate whether these revenues were very were you know actually meaningful to the bond buyers. Um, but given the coverage on the current convention center bonds, um, we believe they are. Um, as I mentioned earlier, we have a very diverse stream of revenues here um, with no single revenue making up a, an excessive part of the revenue base. So um, the real property taxes from the projected development make up 23% of the taxes, and that may partly go to one of the questions that was asked earlier. 18% um, of the taxes are from Dominion Towers, and then 18%, um, and this is over the life of the bonds, is from the remaining um, incremental financing area. That's 59% of the total revenues are from real property taxes. That's a real positive of the revenues that go to support these bonds for two reasons. Real property taxes tend to be much more stable than sales taxes. If there is a downturn, um, real property values um, may go down, but they, they tend to be more stable than sales taxes. You don't see as much variation over economic cycles with real property taxes. So the fact that approximately 60% of our revenues are made up by real property taxes is a real plus to the, the revenue base that's going to repay the bonds. Um, and um, a second reason why real property taxes are the better stream of revenues is just because it's easier to estimate them with reliability. And that's because we have public information on other buildings um, and what those values are. We um, we don't have information in other retailers, for example, in Richmond. That information is provided to the state, but it's confidential and it's not available to the public. So we, so we can look at retailers who provide information, you know, report it in their financial statements, but we don't have that information on specific stores and restaurants in the city. Um, and But with real property, we do. So that makes real property taxes a much more um, stable stream of revenue. But the fact that these revenues are... Um, um, are diverse, and a high percentage of them is based on real property taxes, does give us a strong, stable, um, you know, good, good base of revenues on which to support the bonds. So that's the overview we wanted to give to you on the methodology of how we've calculated these tax revenues, and be happy to answer any questions you might have. Ms. Robertson. Okay. Um, thank you, Madam Chair. It would be helpful for me, looking at this, I, I appreciate the analogy that you've given us as it relates to what you use to determine your projection on the revenue uh, from these um, different sources, which is 
great to see that we are using different sources of revenue, uh, a diversity of that revenue. However, it still remains that 59, 60% of the revenue is from real estate taxes. Um, and so, um, whereas the <clears throat> percentage are helpful, if we, if, if you have the actual dollar amount that's related to that percentage, that would be good information for me as well. We do. I believe that's in projection 26, which I think you have. Let me double check. I think it's on schedule 21. But we'll resend that schedule by itself because we're very sympathetic from, you know, author's comment. Just so to read I guess all the what I'm saying to you guys is that, yes, we do have a lot of paper in front of us. Yes. And if every time I get a report, I've got to go to three or four other sources to get the exact numbers to go. It just helps. You, know, you got the information. Yes. If you provide the dollars that goes with the percentage at one spot rather than I have to go find that and to make sure that uh, I'm a one staff person. Okay. And that's me. I'm very uh, sympathetic to that So it would be helpful point. to just put that number out there. We'll do so that. So my question as it relates to the arena revenue, 13%, which is a significant number in percentages in relationship to others, help me understand what's in that 13%. Okay, I'll do that. I'm also going to ask um, Susan to come up and help. These, these were not revenue projections we prepared. They're the separate consultant um, with a specific expertise in operating an arena and the opportunity. Now, we consolidated them into our numbers. Um, we, we did prepare tax revenues, but the tax revenues were based on estimates of, of economic activity at the arena prepared by another consultant. But I can go over the mix of what those are, the different components. So can I ask that, do you have a spreadsheet that provides itemization for each of these? Is that what you're saying? We do, and we'll send that separately so you don't have to hunt for it. That would be really helpful. Okay. Um, and can we get but, that? But Madam Chair, yeah. I'm also asking that when they make these incremental presentation to us, yes. that they do the due diligence of pulling those numbers when they come forward to make the report, rather than me having to go back and find, I mean, this is the paper I got on my desk today. I already have four times this amount of paper, and so it would just be helpful to us. I okay. agree, and, and, and we definitely want to be helpful, and we apologize if no problem. I just so in the arena, go to the very stream of revenues. You have sponsorships at the arena, um, a common revenue source at an arena. There's sponsorships, you know, throughout the district. Um, there's the admissions tax. Um, we estimated the tax revenues, but those come from ad admissions. Um, sell, people, again, who attend events at the arena. There's the food and beverage tax or the mills tax on concession sales. Um, sales taxes on the novelty sales and then the business license tax. So many of these are the normal, you know, the same tax revenues we see for the other development, but these are specific to the arena, and the estimates of the economic activity at the arena was prepared by a different consultant. I don't know if you want to add anything to that. If I could just get a breakdown of that, yeah, that would be helpful. I, I don't, right, I we don't, don't need to go yeah. through each of those at this I think we would all like to have that kind of breakout. I mean, something like meals tax, where it is really important to us the percent that's going to schools automatically. You can't tell when it's a lump. And so I know that I believe that those considerations have been taken, but without the itemization, it's really hard to see. They, so if we could get that s schedule. Yes. 
We, um, we can get that to you. They okay. have been taken into consideration, and we'll get you those numbers. And we'll Thank break you. it out separately so, so you don't have to look for Madam it. Chair, I would, I would just like to uh, comment on your statement as it relates to the increase in meal tax and the set-aside or reserve percentage for schools. It would be good for us to be able to see exactly, exactly. how much that's increase agreeing with you. in yes. funding schools will receive, and that's a good point. Uh, that's a good yeah. point for us as that. it relates to us being able to present the, to the citizens to see the immediate return in value added as well. So we'll show you that. That's Thank a good you. Point. Yes, because you well, you get the point. So uh, if you will provide us with that uh, itemization, we would appreciate that. We will do that. Thank you. Thank you for your presentation. I think that at this point, you've concluded and we have the additional information you'll provide to us. We would like to go on and uh, take a break. And then we still have the completion. I think this is going to be the Hun I'm sorry, Davenport report. And we'll come back and be able to complete that report. Is that yes, President possible? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you, you everyone. Thank you, ma'am. And let me just, I apologize. I'd like to say we will reconvene at uh, 1 o'clock. Yes, ma'am. Thank you.
on break? How long are we on break?
testing. Testing.
Thank you. We will reconvene the City Council's Navy Hill work session. And uh, looks as if you're ready, sir. Thank you very much, President Newbill. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you all had a restful break. Um, (laughs) Before we invite Davenport, uh, Mr. David Rose, to come back to proceed with a few more items in the presentation, we just wanted to address a couple of items that came up during the morning conversation, which should take less than five minutes. Uh, I'd just like to ask Mr. Jim Duvall, uh, to come up and respond to uh, some points that were raised by Councilman Agilasto. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Um, earlier today, I was asked about the, the debt that's outstanding on the existing parking decks, um, and uh, we did want to make the, case, make the point that um, two of the decks uh, that, are, that are in the district, will the city will continue to own and operate and will continue to receive the revenue we get today, and we hope uh, much larger revenues. But um, those will continue to be city decks. There are th- two surface lots and a parking deck <clears throat> on between Grace and Franklin Street that are part of the latter part of the, the development. But the agreements, as stated, um, indicate that we will continue to receive the revenue from parking decks and only when there's incremental revenue above what we're making currently will we have to contribute parking revenues to the, uh, to the TIF. And I just wanted to make that point clear. Thank you, council members. Any questions? Any questions? Mr. Addison. Thank you, council president. So I appreciate the updated information in response to that question. Um, one of the things that came to mind was when I read this nice larger print right. um, table, uh, it says that there will be a couple of decks being used during construction probably for phasing of, I guess, certain resources needed as required to build such a large development. And I guess I want to make sure that I understood what would be happening with those current users of those spaces as well as the revenue that's currently being captured from those three lots. Am I reading that correctly? Okay. So what we, we, we've had conversations with the Department of Public Works, uh, and there's a, there's a strategy mapped out. We will ask Public Works to come in and specifically speak to what that plan is, Councilman. I appreciate that. I just want to make sure we, we're going to be held harmless as best as possible. Um, and using those lots for staging makes sense because they're surface lots sitting there in proximity, so I understand that. Uh, but just want to make sure I understood exactly the revenues captured, how they'd be either reallocated or used because there is still debt service owed on that. So making sure our parking revenues can cover that is my yes, sir. key question. Thank you. Understood clearly. And also there was a, uh, when we had the conversation during the morning session about the individual tables and the revenue, uh, the base values for all of the revenues are in the Municap run. And because those those base values change on, on a yearly basis because of projected growth, it will be very hard for us to distill those down into one table. But what we are more than willing to do is to sit down with each council member uh, in, individually or in groups of two, however long it takes, just to walk through uh, just so that you we're able to show you the, the base value on an annual basis per revenue line item that shows the calculated revenue uh, that's that we have in the in the model and lastly uh, just distilling the question that councilman jones had asked um, 
about building and the development, I'd just like to ask who's, um, ask Mr. Anderson to come up and speak to the commitment uh, in terms of building the project and where those items are mentioned in the document. Thank you. Madam President, members of council, again, Arthur Anderson with McGuire Woods. And I was uh, asked to um, address uh, the, the question about um, the minimum commitments, you know, what could be uh, fairly much counted on to come up out of the ground and where you can find those items in these documents. Um, the ordinance that, that um, you would find this in is uh, 2019-212, but um, the document that I'll spend the most time on in my few minutes here is the development agreement, and that is in binder two, I believe it's under tab two. And if you look at uh, the description of the project, there's a, uh, it's, this is in section, uh, it's article two, section 2.2, and Mr. Jones, I'll give you a second to get that up if you would like. But the, um, what is in, what is in Article 2 and Section 2.2, that's on, you have that Mr. John? Okay. Uh, Section 2.2 describes all of the project components and it ties to a, uh, uh, it, it, it talks about a master plan that it appears in summary form uh, in Exhibit L uh, to the, to the um, development agreement. And it goes through and describes what each of the components uh, is supposed to include. For instance, uh, the hotel, um, you know, 500 key hotel, 40,000 square feet of, of adjacent conferencing facilities, describes the arena, the armory, and all of the components of, of the project. And then in Exhibit L, it then talks about um, or includes the projected capital investment that will be made with respect to each of those components. If you go to, um, if you go to uh, Article 6 of that document of the development agreement, and you go to uh, section 6.1C. And that's on page 31 of the draft. You're going to find a list of conditions precedent to the issuance of the bonds. Nothing, no, no property changes hands, nothing really happens until those bonds are issued. And what we have, what we, what the developer and the city have negotiated and we have vetted this with the uh, folks who are running the numbers and the underwriters is a list of conditions precedent that have to be in place before those bonds are issued. Now, I think key to uh, those, uh, if I could just refer you to just a few of those conditions precedent, they're all here. And I'm, I'm happy to answer any questions about those. But I think the key um, conditions precedent really found on page 32. 
And that is, there's a developer for performance guarantee of $15.8 million. And that is the source of the purchase price. That's where we will draw the purchase price, or the city will draw the purchase price of each parcel that's listed in the master plan from that $15.8 million. We have values attached to each parcel as part of the development agreement. But anyway, that's the security. Now, if those parcels aren't all drawn down, that money stays with the city. Now, the other items that have to be in place before the bonds are issued and will provide the underwriters and the potential bond buyers or the bond buyers the comfort that they need to ensure that this vertical development takes place. That's in Romanet 25, right in the middle of the page, $150 million in equity contribution agreements. So the developer has to demonstrate $150 million in equity commitments for the parcels that are listed there, those A2, A3, C, E, and F, those parcels. Then you will see in the very next condition, there's another commitment that has to be shown of debt for those private development pieces of $290 million. So you add the $15.8, the $150, and the $290. That's a commitment, a hard commitment before the bonds are issued of $456 million. And the underwriters are comfortable that if those commitments are there, the bonds can be sold. There are, of course, plans for additional development, but these are the hard, these are the things that will have to be on the table before the bonds are issued. Be happy, you know, again, I know, you know, these are things that if you want to know what, you know, as you look through these documents, that's a key, this is a key provision. Thank you. Mr. Addison? Okay. Thank you, Council President. Thank you. So as part of this discussion around, I guess, the timelines, guarantees of, I guess, construction or the benefit of what's going to be proposed here today, when you boil down what's in front of us, these 900 pages, it is a sale of property. It is a support of a TIF district as defined in this proposal to support a public financed non-recourse bond for the construction of an arena. And if that is all approved through the next couple months of our process, then the private side, right, the private money, the guarantees you just talked about, will then be pursued by the bond market to support the final aspects to support the rest of the development. Well, I would say that the developer is the one who is arranging for those other conditions precedent to be met. And I think for the conversation we had this morning, to understand that our debt is not, our bonded, I guess, revenue is not going to be used for this construction of anything outside of that. And that if you do not get those bonds on the private developer side, then the project just stops. Correct? 
Well, the, it if won't go. We're not, able, we're not going to be still building an arena if you don't get your private money. Is what that, well, because the bonds won't be issued. And so I want to make sure that was clear. If you're not able to get the private funding, the public funding that we might approve through this process would not be leveraged unless you have the private money to match it. That is correct. I just want to make sure that I kind of distilled that down because it's complicated. Yeah, sure. And I wanted to make sure I understood how to articulate that back to my constituents when they think this money is going to fund the private development side of this construction of, of this yeah. downtown proposal. And I'm trying to make sure I can distill down how it is not. Right. So if I can explain that, maybe not in the detail you just did, mm -hmm. because you're the professional. That's why you're here. Um, but for me to be able to understand how to translate all this into answers to questions that I get asked all the time is what I want to make sure we can do in this meeting today. So thank you for that. Right. Okay. Welcome. Thank you. Mr. Rose. Good afternoon again, Madam President, members of council. Uh, David Rose with my partner, Roland Cooch, and he and I will try to... Uh, move you through as quickly as possible some of the areas that uh, we did not get to this morning. So with that being said, uh, let me go quickly to uh, the incremental financing area and incremental revenues because again, all of the non-recourse bonds will be issued, will be reliant on incremental revenues. That base will not be touched at all, so the general fund will be held harmless. That said, um, if you look here at the, uh, the graphic up on the wall here, this incremental financing area is some 80 blocks, and you can see it's outlined there uh, in red. Um, the question is, um, when you look at those blocks, within there you'll see that sort of Carolina blue, um, and those are project blocks that are non-taxable. They provide no dollars to the city today. So those will be developed and those project dollars will be the incremental dollars in part that will go towards paying for these bonds. So again, just to underscore that blue that you see there, those various parcels are all right now uh, not producing any revenues to the general fund and they will indeed be producing revenues. In addition, that other bullet point we have there is that the city, by doing all this, will avoid uh, two current liabilities and increasing liabilities. One is that obsolete coliseum, and the second, the public safety building. So now we go to this area, and now you'll find here within the incremental financing area, uh, a large swath of that is green. Uh, a smaller part of that is white. Um, what you'll find is that uh, what's highlighted in white is about $1.5 billion, all of which is tax exempt. So again, what was on the previous page, those, those Carolina blue uh, units, if you would, those blocks, those are all now here in white, and they produce, again, no revenues to the city. The whole focus with this will be to convert those things that are producing no revenues into revenue-producing uh, projects. The second part, uh, the green, is about $2.1 of taxable real estate. Uh, again, you'll see in a few moments that may sound like a lot, but it's actually not a lot at all. Uh, and in fact, uh, that makes up something akin to about 8% 
of the total real estate of the overall city. It's just that it happens to be in a very highly visible part of the city. Okay. So having said that, um, the 80 blocks by size is about 0.7, about 7% of the overall acreage of the city. But again, it's just in a highly visible area. Had it been stuck somewhere in the West End or East End or South Side, uh, it probably wouldn't garner as much notice because, again, it would be relatively modest. But since it's in the heart of the downtown, it may seem large. Um, the second point, as I said earlier, is that the taxable values there, again, that sort of that second big bullet, it's only 8% of the overall taxable real estate of the city. And then the last point, one of those things that people have asked before, and we cite a couple of our clients here, uh, one in particular, Cincinnati, um, which has done a number of successful tax increment financings. Literally, their entire downtown, which is much larger than ours, is a TIF. They have some 10 to 12 tax increment financings throughout their city. Uh, you'll find that Indianapolis is virtually an entire downtown. In fact, so much so that one of their TIFs has 2,500 different properties in it. So again, this size of 80 blocks may seem large, but it is actually not very large when all things are considered nationally. So a few moments ago, I should say a couple hours ago now, before lunch, we talked about that concept of, of non-recourse, and I mentioned to you that we wanted to show the example. Again, just wanted you to see this. If revenues are $30 million and the debt service is 20, we need to basically have that so we have 10 million left over. That's a 1.5 times coverage. That 1.5 times, that excess, that $10 million goes back to the city. And what we're going to show you in a few moments, my partner and I, is we're going to walk you through the first five to 10 years of cash flows and some scenarios, and you'll see what happens in those first five years because those excess dollars are going to go into a stabilization fund, and as quickly and as more dollars that we get, the quicker they will come back to the city once we fill up that second fund, if you would, which we call that stabilization fund. So, again, we were asked what makes up those incremental revenues. Uh, Mr. Rice this morning talked about that. I won't belabor it, but I think it's important, and just remember this, we talk about meals tax. The 6% will go towards the bonds, but the 1.5% on top of that goes directly to the schools immediately. That's one other important point. They will not be waiting five and six or seven years to get their 1.5%. And you're going to see in our cash flows that the schools in the first five years will get several hundred thousand dollars, and in the second five years will get something akin to about a million extra dollars a year by virtue of this project. So another myth that's been out there is that somehow the schools will lose money when it comes to this project. That's not the case at all. Again, some more sources of revenues that Mr. Rice talked about. Um, and then the other important thing here is that outside of those blue, the Carolina blue boxes, if you would, those are development parts, the rest that's in that financing area, there's really two components, if you would, that are going to go towards basically 
the incremental financing area debt service. And that is real estate, and that will also be some admissions taxes. It will be some element of the parking. So with that said, we also wanted you to see here that with regard to sustainability, someone asked us about this the other day, in the incremental parking, the first half million dollars of that goes to an arena renewal fund. So to make sure that that arena doesn't all of a sudden wait for many years from now to have dollars to make sure it stays fresh, modern, up to date. So that's going to happen every single year. And then again, the balance up to $2.5 million, so $2 million, if you would, is capped going to pay for the non-recourse revenue bonds. So again, the last point we'd like to make, if we could, Madam President, is that, again, the current tax levels in this incremental financing area will not in any way be short-circuited in terms of going to the general fund. All of the dollars that the 2020 fiscal year right now has from this incremental financing area will be the same dollars that go into that budget for general fund for 2021. That's a very important point to make, and I just, again, want to underscore that. So we'll pass over the non-recourse bonds, and if we could go to some summaries of the analysis. Give me a moment here. Mr. Jones? That's just one question before we go further. Yes, sir. Talked about over on page 24. That 2.1 roughly represents 8% of taxable revenue for the city in that particular area, correct? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. The cost of providing services will go up over the next 30 years. How is that reflected from, and really I guess the better question is, will we be able to once, you know, where's that threshold, that 8%? we still have the cost of providing services, that 8% would grow over time if we did nothing, right? And those funds would go to providing city services. Where are we able to provide city services based upon that revenue that would grow, right, that 8%, the growth on the 8%, right, which could be small. You know, it's not going to be, we're not talking tens of millions of dollars each year. But how do we account for the cost of increased services in this particular area that's going to be backed out over the course of this project? Well, again, I would defer to the city on how okay. they plan for that. That's really not my, my world. I don't know if anyone wants to add to that. But um, your point is, is, is another point here is that with or without the project, you're right, there's going to be increasing operational costs. Right. Um, one of the things we're preparing for Saturday for the commission, we were asked specifically, is to talk about if indeed the project does go forward, there's going to be operational costs that will be part and parcel of working project. against mm -hmm. the revenue side of the equation. Um, and that's something that the city is, is preparing as we speak. Yes. Uh, the, Councilman Jones, perhaps if I can give a little bit of, of um, a context of what that 8% is in terms of the incremental growth. 
on the before you move forward because i do want to go back to mr jones it seems to me that there was some delineation of for by department one time cost and ongoing cost i don't know how yes there were some in there some looked a little low to me by agency and those are do we not have those available here Madam President, those figures that you referred to were in the fiscal impact, mm -hmm. uh, and those were some one-time, some recurring expenses. And we're we're more the administration is more than glad to come back and walk through those projections in greater detail with the council. That would be helpful because they went from um, public safety professionals that would be additional to DPW, DP, a variety of things. And I have to admit, uh, my first look, but I'm looking forward to the presentation. The amounts seemed pretty low to me for the magnitude of the project and the additional, but I look forward to the presentation. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Okay. All right. Um, do you want to add something? Yeah, okay. Uh, with respect to that 8%, that, <clears throat> that taxable value, that incremental growth on that, um, and your concern was about how do we address budgetary issues going forward and the growth there. Just to give you a context of that incremental growth that we're putting into this system is that if you calculate the revenues on an annual basis on that incremental growth that, that we're putting in, it represents about 0.4% of the real estate tax revenue that's in your current budget. So it's a relatively small number from that context, thinking that other growth may compensate or there may be other revenues that, that help with that too. It's a real number. Mm -hmm. Okay. And Ms. Robertson, and I'm, I'm going to come right to you because Ms. Robertson asked a question earlier on, and maybe this is where you're going to go. No, well, I'll go ahead. defer. No, go ahead. Um, above the two percent that's uh, built in, what those funds, even if it's five percent, all of that's going into the stabilization. No, ma'am. So, so what would happen is, and we'll show you the cash flows up until roughly about twenty-eight million dollars. That will be the second that stabilization fund, and you'll see how the cash flows work on that. Over and above that, those dollars come directly back to the city. So said a different way, and again, we'll walk you through. I think if we if we walk you through a case or two, okay, I think it'll it'll hopefully be a little clearer uh, to do that. All right. Um, okay. So Let's if we could, well, first let me go back to Ms. Okay. Robertson. I'm sorry. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I look forward to a little bit more explanation to that question as well. Um, but I want to be sure that of the 80 blocks for the TIF, the development area that you're showing here is about 10 blocks. Is that correct? If that's the number, roughly. I don't want to say about okay. roughly. I think it was. Okay. Yeah. So of that 10 block development, new revenues that are going to be coming in for many of those blocks that are many of those parcels that uh, are not taxed that we're generating no revenue at the present time but if i'm understanding from the previous presentation the revenue that's going to be generated from this uh development area which is roughly 10 blocks um will generate almost 53 percent or 59% of the total costs? I think the 59% was talking about real estate 
throughout the old the, in, the entire incremental financing area. That was the 59%, I think, Ms. Robertson. All right, so my question. For the whole, the whole area. Right. Whole area. So my question is based on the expected increased uh, real estate taxes for this development area, what percentage uh, is the growth uh, in that area that's covering the total cost of the debt service? Oh, I th okay. I think I see what you're saying. We have, a, we'd have to go calculate, which is easy to do. We've got all the numbers, just what percentage of within the overall dollar. So, yeah, I'm kind yeah, of, just, I don't, I want to make sure that this development area is really, it's essentially meeting 50% of the total cost, whatever that percentage is. I, that's what I'm looking okay. for. Okay. Um, we have, let me just take a look here while we're talking here. Roland, let's think about this. I don't really think, we don't have the breakout right here. We, we just don't have, for the moment, the breakout. But in the sheets that we gave you last Friday, which are the, the, the 20 pages per case, we can, we can sort of add together those pieces to tell you what you want to know, which is how much is one versus another? Is real estate? And that is, I think she's also thinking, okay. Um, so the 59% covers all of the sources of revenue, but of the total debt service for the development, for, to, to meet our debt service payment, 59% of all the sources of revenue is coming from this 10 blocks. Now, I think what we're saying is 59% is real estate through the entire incremental financing area. Okay. Of okay. the 10 blocks, I don't know okay. specifically. Roland's so going to try to calculate what as the we 10 speak. What percentage the total, right. what is the total percentage for the 10 blocks? I see. The 10 blocks represent 23%. So it covers Is that real estate? The total. Everything. Oh, I think she wants everything, not just real estate. Not just real estate is the point. Okay, we could probably calculate that. We can calculate that. Yeah, that would be a different schedule based on what you gave us earlier. No, it's just it's just the numbers within the numbers. That's all. Right, exactly. Yes. But what you were, what Councilwoman Robertson was referring to at the fifty nine percent, an additional breakdown other than what's itemized here. Yes. Yeah. I don't see a problem getting that to you. Okay. That's fine. Okay. So if we could. Um, let's go to page 34, and we'll get right into uh, the summary of the cases and scenarios. So originally, uh, last Monday, October 7th, we were here, and we presented to you uh, the scenarios on the left-hand side. Do nothing with the Hunden assumption that the area that is there grows at 1.5%. If we then do the project and exclude Hunden, growing it at 2%, which is what MuniCap did. And then lastly, we include Hunden, 2% plus that uplift that we talked about, which Hunden believes will be even better than 2%. So what you see here is the same numbers as last week, with the yellow being asked to provide all of you the present value. So that's what's new here. And that was the, again, the previous analysis with all the cash flows. So that's what you've already had already. So that's what we did. And that included the second tower. Now, 
Let's go to where we are. Um, I'll just jump ahead for a moment. On page 35, we also did something that we promised we'd do, which we said that if we excluded Hunden on that old presentation, and we showed you then that, again, it met the coverage, which is what the underwriters required, roughly that 1.5 times you can see there. On the top of that, if you have Hunden, it's just that much better. That's all we we're trying to show. Now, let's go, if we could, to today. And today we were asked to do these scenarios and make several changes. And we did that. And that's what you're going to see here. And that is, basically, if we do nothing and we don't have the Dominion Tower and we still grow it at 2%, we don't go to what Hunden said, we go back to the 2% growth, that's scenario A1. And what you'll see there, and this is important, is that over the first five years, do nothing, the revenues that will come to the general fund will be roughly about $10.8 million dollars. On a present value basis, it's a little less than 10.2 million. And then you could see accordingly 10 years and then over time. Now, we then looked at that with the project, but as being asked on B1, we excluded the second tower, we excluded Hunden. And then we grew it at that 2%, which is what Municap has been doing all along. What you find here is that when you look at this project, doing it actually, the five-year total of revenues is virtually twice the level of dollars coming in than if we did nothing. I think that's really important because even on a present value basis, that relationship still holds to be basically 20 million versus 10 million. On a 10-year basis, uh, the same is true. Uh, we still have more revenues if you do something versus not. And of course, as you expect, over time, 30 years, that would be the case. So the last thing we did uh, was we looked at it, if you included Hunden, excluding the second tower, 2%. But again, we just wanted you to know, Madam President, we were asked to do that. We put that together, and we wanted to show for ourselves and for you how that looked. So with that said, I think what Roland and I would like to do now is to show you uh, the challenge, if you would, of doing this project without Hunden and without uh, that second tower. And you can see there in 2023, if you can see that small print, it's 1.33 times. And that is, unfortunately, below the threshold of that 1.5% 1.5 times, excuse me, that we require, that they require, I should say, the underwriters. So, again, you can see why something akin to the magnitude of the second tower is so important to this project. Now, what we'd like to do, yes, sir. Mr. Anderson. Thank you, Council President. Just wanted to have a <clears throat> I guess refining question. So the reason why the debt service coverage is so important is for, to just make sure I'm hearing you correctly, is to protect the city from financial burdens in terms of the non-recourse bond and other parts of this proposal. Because 1.5, I want to make sure you understand why that's such an important number. And for us to know that this is for the financing vehicle and this protects those, I guess, the proposal as currently presented, which has very 
city risks, but the risks that are being mitigated by the fact it's non-recourse and it's protected by the TIF and all the other development proposed in the area as a whole, that 1.5% is related to that. So when you say that it's below that number as currently proposed, the reason why that's important is because that's what the bond agent, the bond, I guess, holders need to have to support yes. what's proposed right now. Yes. Is that correct? So that's correct. So the bond holders want to see that 50% cushion, if you would. The underwriters have made it clear to us that they want to see that kind of cushion because, again, if there is a slowdown in the economy, a recession, what have you, and certain things are slower to, to get going, um, spending is slower, what have you, they want that cushion in there, and that's sort of the approach. So um, hopefully that answers your question, Councilor. It does, and the other question I have is, if work if it works properly, that means we're getting one and a half times the revenue needed per year to support the project, correct? That's correct. So what's going to happen is I'm going to ask Roland to walk you through the first 10 years, and you're going to see that the more robust those revenues are from the get-go, the quicker that stabilization fund is paid is paid is paid you know paid into, if you would, the faster we the city will then start to see actual dollars come to the general fund that that you will have discretion over. However, the one point that Roland's going to point out, I'll have him walk you through it, is that with regard to the one and a half percent that you passed about a year and a half ago for schools, that actually comes a whole lot quicker okay. to the city, and you'll see that in a few moments. Thank you. Okay. So we're almost done, uh, Madam President. I know time's getting short. So I will ask Roland to walk you through the excluding Hunden. Let's go to the one that excludes. You want this to All right. Let's do that one. All right. All right. We'll go ahead there. Let me get out of your way. I'll jump in. Hello, uh, Roland Cooch with Davenport and Company. It's good to be here in front of council again today. And what we want to do is walk you through two pages here. This is a two-page roll-up with a little more detail than what you've previously seen last October uh, 7th when we were in front of council. Uh, but it's also less detailed than what you have in some of those Excel spreadsheets. So we're trying to provide a little bit of a balance here, but just enough information and we can source all of this back and crosswalk it back to Municap numbers or our spreadsheets as well at a later date. Um, this scenario, which is basically um, scenario B, and it's we've entitled it excluding Hunden because we didn't want to add any benefits of Hunden's from their analysis. Um, and we also have make it known here that we've included, as the developer has and Municap has, the second new Dominion Tower. Um, this is based on scenario 26 which uh, is the most recent scenario provided by Municap. And um, <clears throat> what we've done here is basically put everything into these sort of two pages from, from a revenue standpoint and expense standpoint. What I like to do is walk you through these columns, which are numbered one through eight on this page, and then uh, eight through thereafter on the following page. Um, this is the first 10-year look from 2021, assuming the project timing that we have in here, but 2021 all the way out to 2030. And then you can see we've subtotaled the first 10 years. The next, or the balance of the years thereafter from 2031 through 2048 are provided in reference totals only. And then we've provided a final total of each one of these columns uh, for your reference as well that again, we'll track to certain other spreadsheets. For example, column one, which is the project revenue, 
basically includes all of the revenues we've, we've talked about from the project as well as the increment financing area. We've just called it project revenue here for our reference to label it. Uh, you'll note that that total 1.197 billion at the bottom line. You can find that in Municap's numbers on a certain page, and we'll provide that data for you as well. But that references back to all of the Municap um, categories of revenues that they were talking about. And you can see how from 2021 through 2030, it starts slow and accretes in time until it really starts to pick up in years uh, 6, 2026 through 2030, when the project really is done or soon to be done at that standpoint. Column two, this is where if we were to analyze and bring in what Hunden has provided in terms of its analysis and put it in the model, we would put it in this scenario. In this scenario, we are not including it. So this scenario is basically modeling up and running a, a parallel analysis of what you see in scenario 26 from Municap. What comes out then, we're going to show in the next few columns, a variety of subtractions and additions. In column three, we're talking about what goes of this cash flow, what goes to the project. What you heard earlier this morning, there's a sources and uses discussion. There's a little bit of cash flow that's going in to help fund the arena. That's what you're seeing in 2021 and 2022 to the tune of about 8.7 million. And if you will turn back in this presentation, you'll see that same number in the sources and uses. So part of that cash flow early on is going to help fund that $245 million arena. Then in column four, what has to, again, come out of this, this projected revenue is debt service. And that's revenue bond, non-recourse revenue bond debt service. And you can see that it starts at a very large number, 16 million, 17 million, 17.6, and goes up after that. This debt service is related to the bonds that are issued, but we all talked about earlier this morning about how we need some elements of revenue or need something to cover that. And what we've done, or what the underwriters have done, and what the modeling has done is saying there's capitalized interest that we talked about in the sources and uses. That capitalized interest is then shown in column five as a direct offset to the debt service going really through the first four years. Starts off offsetting it identically for the debt service, and over time it starts to taper off as the revenues from the project come online. So after we funded all the debt service and we funded some of the project, we have some offsets to help that funding, which is the capitalized interest. We see now column six. What happens to the surplus in the early years? Where does that money go? We've heard about the Revenue Stabilization Fund, what needs to be funded from cash flow over time and how that's funded. You can see in column six, then, we're taking out from the cash flow stream, we're, we're reducing or we're, we're offsetting that, that project revenue and, and putting those monies, banking them, the city's banking them in this Revenue Stabilization Fund. And you can see over the first four years, from 2024 through about 2026, those numbers directly come from project revenue after debt service, and they total up to the equivalent of roughly $28.5 million of cash flow going into the stabilization fund. Then, when we get to column seven, after we funded 
basically all the columns we need to column three, four, we have five to help us out, funded column six, which is the revenue stabilization fund. Column seven represents the cash flow or the split of the surplus. We've talked about a 50-50 split of surplus. So if you were to do the math across the line, by the time you get to 2026, which is the sixth year down, we've taken everything we need to take out of for debt service and for the stabilization fund, there's a balance left over. That balance in 2026 is split equally, 50% to early redemption of bonds, which is 3,950, and then 50% is column eight, which is the other 3,950. That is the surplus revenue that starts to kick in at that point in time. Now, what we've seen here today and what the underwriters have shown us, these, mo these models are within 0.15% of each other. What you see here, though, is there's zeros in the first five years. And you may ask, we've talked about this first five-year impact to the city. What is the first five-year impact? Where is the numbers coming from the first five years? And then you, we can see years six through 10 and thereafter start to pick up. So what we've done on page two is we've taken that same column eight, just for reference purposes, so you can see it on this page, and added to it some of the offsets or the things that we know are going to come in. Based on this model, based on this project, column nine is a part of this proposed project and a part of this deal. This is the sale of the land and the proceeds from the land that are coming in as the developer takes down these properties. 15.8 million from 2020, 15.8 from 2021 all the way to 2025. And it's important to note, um, I would defer to the, the bond attorneys, but there are various protections in the documents that provide for these monies to come, whether or not the developer meets the time frame or there are contingency time frames. If they don't meet, the city still gets these monies. So number 10. Number 10, again, is a hunt and uplift outside of the increment financing area. We have excluded it in this scenario. So you can see we're not double counting. We're not... We're not cherry-picking. This is the, the base scenario that, that you've seen today and we've talked about today. Um, this pretty much, if included in additional scenarios, represents lodging tax that may occur or other tax revenue that may occur, primarily lodging, outside the increment finance area with increased activity. So we're not including it in this scenario. Um, number 11. This, um, as my colleague David referred to, and we've heard a little bit about this earlier today, is the 1.5% of the 7.5% total meals tax cash flow stream. Everything that's in the project revenues that we've heard about and talked about, where the developer and the projections are only relying on 6% of the total 7.5% meals tax stream. So as those facilities come online, the project blocks come online that are generating the meals tax, you're going to get the full 7.5%. Uh, the 6% again is going to help repay the bonds and go through this. The additional 1.5% is directly coming to the city. So you can see we're starting that cash flow based on when the timing occurs in 2023 and thereafter. Over the course of the, the time frame of the bonds, approximately 30 years, that's a $31 million add to the city's bottom line. Number 12, we talked about this. Uh, this is the Coliseum Savings, the current level that's in the 2020 budget to 
keep the Coliseum basically mothballed and pay for debt service. That's basically 550 of debt service and about 400,000 thereabouts, 450 of, of just bare bones expenses. That's a number that's going to be directly coming out of the budget and can be allocated elsewhere. So that is a revenue stream that if this project proceeds forward, the city would have that to be able to reallocate or repurpose. And that stuff, that is going through, and we've assumed it through the first, the remaining four years of debt service left on the Coliseum. Just an assumption from that standpoint. Um, and then lastly, this is the more detail, uh, President Newville, that you've asked for, the incremental city costs. I think that um, city, city uh, staff is going to come back and say, what are these true offsets and when do they occur? How are they projected to occur? Because presumably, while their numbers that were there, um, they wouldn't all occur on day one. They've got, they would be phased in as this project kind of develops and kind of gets built out. So we did not presume to want to program those um, without city um, uh, guiding on that. So lastly, what that leaves us here with is column 14. When you do all the adds and all the subtracts, you can see how in year by year for the first five years where those dollars come from, and by and large, a large part of it does come from the sale proceeds. You have some of the meals tax that's coming directly to the city for schools, and you have the savings in the Coliseum budget. And then the yellow column is the new data point that you didn't have from the last presentation. That is the present value of all those at approximately a 2% inflation rate. So this is the, um, the core sort of what I'll call the more detailed summary, but not the extremely detailed summary. Um, then we have behind tabs 7, 8, and 9, we've done the exact same sort of layout of revenues and expenses. You can see minor adjustments in scenario B, for example, with Hunden. Those green columns that were in, that were in um, scenario um, B without Hunden, tab six. Those green columns are now populated. So the only things that have changed here is <clears throat> putting those numbers in in green. When you put those numbers in, though, they're going to impact how much revenue is available to split between prepaying debt service and going to the city. So when you add more revenues to the what I'll call the model, you're going to have more revenues earlier, and you will potentially pay off the debt a little bit faster. That's the, the slight change here. And then going to scenario B1 without Hunden and scenario B1 with Hunden, again, this extracts or excludes the Dominion Tower impact, so you're going to have less revenues. So what you'll see there is some of the bonds will take a little longer to pay off. You'll see there'll be less revenues to split between the surplus and the prepayment. And also, you'll see, as we've noted earlier, this scenario, by and large, at the number that's in here for financing the arena, does not provide the coverage that the underwriters say is necessary to meet. Ms. Larson? Um, this is kind of a process question for us. Do we have this presentation electronically? I just got it this morning, so I hadn't had a chance to forward it all to councils. Okay. But so I do have it. 
I think we need to come up with a, maybe change our rules where we have to get the presentations um, beforehand. There are people who are at home listening. There's no way you can comprehend any of this unless you're looking at something on paper. Okay. And if we need to change our rules um, through the ordinance, I'm happy to put that forward. But we, we've got to have these pre presentations. I will definitely, Ms. Larson, point well taken work to make mm -hmm. sure that we have them in advance of the presentation. Otherwise, we would look to do the presentation subsequent to receipt. Okay. Um, and then I think there's also, you know, I saw that Matt had sent us the responses at 7 o'clock on Friday, and I do appreciate you working until 7 o'clock on Friday. But <laughs> that doesn't... You know, I, I didn't spend my whole weekend looking over your responses. And so I'm not coming in here today ready to talk about those because of that. So it's, it's tough when the, the information is not getting to us in a way that we can digest anything before this meeting. And... It, this is a really important part of this process because by the time I read those answers to the questions from last week, we're not going to have another meeting for another two weeks. And, you know, a lot of time will have passed. So I would like to see something on paper that says this is, this is the process and if we don't get the presentations by a certain date, then... You all, we don't need that presentation that Monday. You can wait until the next Monday to do it. I can certainly uh, work uh, to that end. I hear you. We all have received and not necessarily as much time to, you know, dig in. So I'll do that. Mr. Rose. President, if I could just make two comments. I totally understand, and that makes a ton of sense to us. Um, we have worked so hard, so fast from last Monday to get here today. So you can blame all of that on us for being as slow as we seem to be. But we've been trying to make sure we put our stuff together. It really is sort of every, we really almost need two weeks per time that we have some meeting like this. We're able to counsel, we're able to review stuff, go over it with our client and vice versa. So for example, we are concurrently working on our presentation for this Saturday that we had two, you know, essentially two weeks ago. So it really is taking us that amount of time. We're actually meeting with staff come this Thursday to go over our second draft of all that information so we can turn it around for Friday for Saturday. They may feel the same exact way, but if only they knew. They've asked us a lot of information. We've just been trying to put it together so much so quickly, and we want to make sure we give you the right information. So one last thing I would say, and that was a question I believe you asked uh, either Ms. Robertson or Mr. Jones asked. Uh, maybe it was, again, I'm getting confused, Mr. Addison. Uh, what percentage was the, the 10 blocks, or if it's 10 blocks, whatever it is, that is actually, that constitutes 64% of the incremental revenues, those, I'll call it, for lack of a better word, those roughly 10 or 11 parcels, whatever that is. 64%. And that's, I'm going to rely on my colleagues. I haven't, I haven't vented it, but I will tell you I've got a lot of faith in them. So, all right. 
Thank you. Thank you. With that, Ms. Robertson, did I see your hand or were you? Yeah, I, I just wanted to, um, to comment uh, on what Ms. Lawson has said as well. Um, I would like for us to kind of think through this process so that the information that we are receiving, Council is taking the time to have <clears throat> our own briefing or discussion about where we are and looking at the answers to the responses that we receive collectively so that we are really taking in the full benefit of that information. Uh, I appreciate the fact that if, if, if a staff of the magnitude that we have with all of the support staff that is provided to make these presentation and prepare information for us, the hours that they are putting in collectively to make that happen, it is essential that council members recognize that we almost need the same amount or pretty close to the same amount of time to really do our briefing of the information that we are receiving and making sure that the council is fully informed and understanding and taking in the value of the information that is added so that as we go through this process, we um, coming to a place of at least being um, prepared to make a decision or determination as to how this information is going to help us ultimately make to make the final decision. And um, I am concerned that we can do so much overload of information intake without having an opportunity for us to discuss it and, and, and appreciate the value of it. So thinking through that process would be extremely meaningful. If we took the time to do that as a part of this process, then also we would give the administration more time to prepare additional information for the next presentation that they are working on to bring information back to us because we're taking the time in the interim. So uh, I would uh, welcome that opportunity to, to kind of talk through that more as to how we can, we can take care of our due diligence in the process. Thank you. Thank you both. And I look to, um, before the end of this week, really figure out a process that takes into consideration your recommendations. Uh, whether they're smaller meetings with council members so that you can do a deeper dive and then briefings, et cetera, et cetera. So I'll work on that with um, our staff and get something back. Ms. Larson. Um, just to follow up from what council member Robertson was saying, I agree. It's a lot. And um, David, I wasn't trying to blame you all because you don't know the rules if there are no rules that are put out there. So. I think we need to tighten up our operation. And the first uh, work session we had like this, I talked about how I would like to see more attendance by city council members and how we needed to address the days we're holding and the times we're holding. And I feel like in light of what we're discussing now, that it's a good time to, to stop and say, what about these work sessions is working and what isn't? And I do think a big part of what isn't is that we have a number of people who are not here. And I think these were planned hastily. I'm doing my best to attend, 
Um, but I, I, I would like, obviously, everybody to be involved. And if not, at least folks who want to be involved but are challenged with their schedule. So I, I really strongly think we should look at all of these things we just mentioned and make sure it works for everybody. Thank you, Ms. Larson. Um, I will revisit it. I did, based on comment before, look at days, times, but um, I will definitely revisit um, days, times, attendance, um, reporting, and getting documentation back to council prior to sessions, et cetera. And we'll work through that this week. Ms. Robinson, the last. So Just one other recommendation I'd like to make, and that is um, I don't think any of council members expect that we would have to spend every Monday for two, three, four months to review a development agreement. I mean, when, when I signed up for committees that I'm willing to serve on, and all other things that I'm willing to do, uh, and that I consider as part of my duty as a council representative. Um, when we look at a development of any magnitude or scale to this level, I think in the beginning of the process, administration and council needs to work together and figure out how do we roll these things out. Because we volunteered to do this, which which we we feel obligated to do, because we really feel very strongly if we're going to get through this, we're going to have to commit, um, you know, an extra eight hours a week of time that we hadn't planned. I hadn't planned in my regular agenda. Um, but then to also expect us to be able to find the time to do that without any additional staff or support to help us through what our due diligence is in making this happen and the added burden and responsibility that we're placing on our staff that's working to 7 or 8 o'clock every night of the week so that they're prepared to come back to us on a weekly basis. You know, we are just not thinking through these processes in a way that provide the resources that is needed to get something like this done. And for us to be in the middle of this development and just hopefully getting a, a consultant to help us through the process is, is just, um, it's just not the best use of how we go about doing these things. And a lot of it is because we get these development deals and they expect us to make a decision in three months period of time without any additional resources and all expecting us to provide at least another eight hours in session, never mind how many hours all of us are going to have to spend out of session to do our own review. So when we talk about this, we, we're in the middle of this one, but I think we need to use this as an example so that we can plan better for how the city deal with economic development deals and what's the protocol that we follow. Thank you. Um, I duly noted in all uh, of those matters, um, we, um, hindsight is uh, really wonderful and we might have wanted to have a process that lent itself 
to uh, admin and council being at the table, but we find ourselves where we are. But I, what I am committed to is looking at the process going forward and visiting the items that you have mentioned, some of which we attempted to do all either requests for quotes, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, be that as it may, um, I am going to uh, commit to following up with that in terms of processing. And Mr. Angelesto, is there, so I'd like to close this out. Yes, Madam President, I apologize. I had to go out for a bit and miss meet in the middle, but, um, in this report, I just want to make sure, too, that this report, frankly, is incomplete because we all know that there's a cost to the city of, uh, you know, certain... Uh, right, those are going to come back. That column that was minus and that was referenced by Mr. Rose. And even in the documentation, there are costs delineated, but those need to be Correct. dropped Correct. There yes. have still been many question marks and here we are, you know, in October with this December deadline. But as long as those question marks are still there, the council doesn't know exactly what's being proposed. And when we have entire columns of spreadsheets that are absent, the whole metrics, the calculations could change drastically. Right. And so we'll ask for that column to be completed because you're correct. I mean, there are items that need to, to Ms. Robertson's point about time. That's a waste of everybody in this room's time to be vetting a proposal that is on an incomplete report that is subject to change dramatically. And I don't think that that's fair to the volunteer council that is committed to this or anybody to know that entire column is missing. I know some of it was in the fiscal impact that was attached. So the administration has already done it. Why can't the left hand and the right hand be talking to each other when they're, this is not a cheap report. And how many copies of this are printed out? There's a whole stack of them there. That's a waste. Yes. Fraud, waste, and abuse. Come on. Do get, we know that? Get the act together if you're really talking about this stuff in a legitimate multi-billion dollar project. Duly noted. Thank you. Thank you, all of the presenters today. Um, as you see, we will have uh, need of uh, additional drill down, uh, but we'll follow up with you in terms of next sets of presentations and process. Thank you. This session is adjourned.